there is no neutron. So you have a universe making hydrogen, and it can only make hydrogen. Okay, it can only make hydrogen. Nothing else. Dead end. Dead end. Okay. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America Show. We're going to be chatting with Neil Adams a little bit later about uh, expanding planets, which is all kinds of fun. Our resident artist, Napoleon, joins us for a little while. Um, but first, as always, Graham, don't you tell me I eat too much sugar Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? You're out of context again. That's, 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 that's No, that's... I was sent in from a listener. Really? No, it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Texted from you a local listener. You misinterpreted the whole thing before. That's why I was all bent out of shape. Okay. Not about the sugar. It's not about the sugar. Anyways, I'm doing well. Yeah, I went yeah. to I went to a thing last night. Uh, the talk, no, was, was it last night? No, it was Wednesday night. Uh, Paul Monroe. Oh, Paul Monroe, oh my God. Paul Elder. I got, <laughs> I got Robert Monroe and Paul Elder mixed up. There was lots of talk about Robert Paul Elder Monroe. from the Monroe Institute. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, and James, big shout out to James Nation was there and a couple other That's who sent friends in the of mine, Steve and uh, yeah, Stefan and James Darren. is a listener who sent it in. Yeah, hopefully those guys are listening at some point. The other Darren? The other Darren, The other yeah. Darren in your life? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Darren. It was good. It was interesting, man. Paul got into... Uh, some remote view, the actual remote viewing sketches from some of the best remote viewers on, uh, about alien bases on earth. On earth or on yeah, the moon? On earth. Mm. Did you talk to him? Uh, no, no. Hmm. I didn't, you, you said know, hello? Yeah, I was, uh, I think he, he saw me in the audience. Oh, did he? He's yeah. like, oh, is your eyes met at a moment? <laughs> he has no idea what you look like. Yeah, I've been in a couple of his courses oh, before. Oh, that's right, yeah. 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 Did he acknowledge your existence? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. so? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Te- telepathically. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. What did he say? I like, he liked my shirt. He knew. Oh, were you wearing yeah. your Grand America shirt? I was wearing my Save Sasquatch shirt. I think, I think yeah, that's what I was wearing. There you go. We got a picture from one of our UK listeners. In his- I know, that was awesome. He yeah. loves that shirt. Yeah. Big shout out to the UK posse. The UK posse. We had an email from somebody in the States going, I'm not from the UK. Does he want to be in the UK posse? I guess so, but he can be if he wants. It's just, you know. You just have to move to the UK. You're bound to run into someone that listens to the show. They just say, the UK seem more interactive. Yeah. The more the UK, outgoing. The UKers, yeah. Maybe a little more outgoing, yeah. Is it? I don't think it's the UK. I think it's just UK. It's like, it's not the <clears> hospital. It's just hospital. In Europe, it's hospital. Here, it's the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So here, it's the UK, and in UK, it's just UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the England. <laughs> so, what's new? What do you got for me? Well, I got a ton of... I built of, a uh, deck last got, week. Did you? Yeah. Have you I not know. seen it yet? Well, it's just a little tiny thing on the floor. It's more like a platform. It's a patio. Is that what you call patio? <laughs> I guess. It's 16 feet by 10 feet. Is it? That's that's bigger than the studio. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than the studio. It's like two studs. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm doing the other one next weekend. If you're around. Actually, you might be a bit of a liability. Uh, I'm, I'm busy next weekend. 
What are you doing? I'm busy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, what do you got? I don't know, man. I, I can't choose. I got a ton of stuff to talk about. No, big thanks to all the people who sent me birthday pictures. I got a oh, couple of pictures of birthday, birthday yeah. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, buddy. A muffin. You're a year, a year, uh, year younger than Napoleon. Yeah. Today. Yesterday. Exactly. Almost exactly a year younger than yeah. our artist. But we just found that out like two days ago. Jeez, I thought he was younger. Oh, well, I've aged horribly. What can I say? No, you, no, I didn't mean younger than you. No. I just mean younger than I thought. It was the drinking. What, uh, what do you got first? I don't know. It's up to you, buddy. <clears throat> I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into uh, some listener synchronicities here. We'd love to talk about listener experiences and synchronicities on the show, kind of involve everybody. And... Uh, of course, every once in a while we, we send out an episode and it's got, uh, like even this one was about synchronicities. It was owls and synchronicities with Mike Clellan, which, which creates a lot of buzz from our listeners and people start seeing owls and having like synchronicities. I was talking to James about it the other night. A lot of buzz night. or a lot of, a lot of hoot. <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of hoots. <laughs> and James was saying, ah, it's just a punch buggy syndrome because... His friend had a little owl synchronicity. Anyways, and but I've been getting lots of them. So uh, I got a few of them to talk about tonight, I think. And I, I don't know. I think it's more than the punch buggy syndrome. So I want to turn this into a shout out to one of our bloggers, Matt in the Hat, who's got a blog. He kind of just posted a blog requesting people that have had UFO and psychedelic experiences to get a hold of him. So I'll link to that uh, area of Has our site in the show yet? notes. <clears throat> I don't know. But he's, uh, he sends in his synchronicities, which seem to happen quite often. And he's got some here. You ready for this, Darren? It's just a, a quick fire. little list. Yeah. It's a quick rundown, basically a bullet point rundown of additional synchronicities that have happened. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. And this is a big shout out to one of our bloggers, Matt. So, 3 1. So, this is the date. So, March 1st. As I was in the kitchen preparing for some food, I overheard Jeopardy on the television in the other room with an owl question. Three, two, I was on a flight to Florida and I was doing Five. a crossword and there was an owl clue. I also finally started reading the messengers. That's the book from Mike Clellan that we, that we talked to him about in the episode. Three, three on this day, ironically, 33, my wife and I were on a cruise to the Bahamas where they had an art auction. There were three stylized abstract owl paintings. Three, four while offshore in Nassau, we spotted two carved wooden owls for sale. Nassau, you mean? No, Nassau. No, it's pronounced Nassau. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I've since discovered there are three species of owls in the Bahamas. Three, four. That evening we went to dinner on the ship and was assigned table number 133. Not too much to report on three, five, but our table number this night was 111. 3-6, on the flight home, I was reading more of the messengers on my Amazon Fire 
at the part where it's talked about number sequences, sequences and synchronicities, specifically 333 and 1111. About 10 minutes after passing this point in the book, I clicked out of it to the main screen to check out how much longer until we arrived home and what time it was. It was 111 exactly. My wife can vouch for all of these. While this, while this is going on, I can only guess, but these are the most consistent synchronicities I've ever experienced. Cheers and thanks again for the shout out, Matt. So in order, I gave him five, four, seven, two, two, four, which gives him an average of four and four is eight, is fifteen, and nine is twenty-four divided by six. Average rating is four. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> so I, I'm just going to continue on with that little that little theme there. Uh, so this is uh, from Chuck. He says, uh, "Hey, Darren and Graham, I've been a listener to Gramerica for a while now." I'm just from the states, no, not not Great Britain. This is the this is the guy that wrote that. What the fuck's Great Britain? Just just wanted to let you know. Oh, that's the UK, right? That's my like my hockey shirt, the Great I Britain. Get. Yeah, you got it. GBH. GBH. Oh no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to let you know. I sent twenty bucks to help you guys out with your upgrade. Twenty bucks would have been nothing, not so long ago, but for circumstances beyond my control, it's a big deal now. I even had to cancel my Mysterious Universe membership not so long ago. Anyway, I've been meaning to write you for a while to tell you guys how much I enjoy the show. I think I saw an owl in a dream recently, or maybe it was on a TV show. Please add it to the list of owl sightings. Thanks, Chuck. No problem, Chuck. Thanks for donating, buddy. I really appreciate it. We'll talk about uh, what he donated to in a little while. Uh, We're doing a little uh, fundraiser here. And, uh, yeah, so thanks, Chuck. Not from Great Britain. Chuck, not from Great Britain. I think they might still let him in the posse. They seem like they're okay, guys. Okay. Okay, So, okay. so if, if you think those owl ones are good, and, I mean, I'm not even reading all of them. There's other ones that I haven't even read yet. I think this one kind of takes a cake. Take, takes a cake. Takes the cake. <laughs> G and D. Where does it take the Kate? To Whidbey Island. Whidbey? Yeah. Whitby? Whidbey. So last year, my gal and I moved to a little town in Upper Washington State located on the island of Whidbey. We used to call that Whidbey Island. We used to, I used to camp near there all the time, La Connor. That, that's where I had this uh, experience when I was about 16 with three of my friends staying in two tents on this remote island that we canoed to. We heard something walking on the tents and I had the, I was so fucking scared. I couldn't even breathe. (laughs) I was like, I was like, did you guys hear that? And I couldn't even look out the tent. I was so scared. I was literally like frozen with fear. It's probably one of your parents checking on you. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been. But I mean, it was pretty unreasonable fear. Like the fuck was that? So that was right near Whidbey Island. Anyways. Here's a choice. What? Fear is a choice, not when it's that unreasonable, it's not. Oh. Well, you hear about these people that have I'm not saying anything weird was going on on the island, but it rings a bell to people that have that crazy fear when they're, you know, when they see. Could have been a Pallades fucking missing. Or something. A cryptid? Yeah. So, side note, it was during. Sasquatch, the... did you have a gun? No. Who goes camping without a gun? What do you mean? I've never camped with a gun, <laughs> I've never had a gun. And I don't want one. Nor have I. 
Really? Oh, but there's the little pistols on the wall. What are those? Are those real? Or are they just fake? It's fake. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I got to get on with this. Side note. It was during this very move north that I discovered Grime America. Grime America. Okay. Thanks to a little luck and a Randall Carlson being a guest on your podcast. But I digress. After years of grinding it out in Vancouver, Washington, a city of about a quarter million, we moved to this quiet little cabin in the woods located on an island in the ocean. A great place to visit. An amazing place to live. Miles and miles of coastline forest with an abundance of wildlife. A perfect place to keep an eye out for the Bigfoots, Nassies, or lost chupacoppers that may find themselves traveling through. In our particular neck of the woods lives a family of owls that, according to the locals, have been there forever. And although you can hear them, and although you can hear them, we rarely ever see them. Challenge accepted. With camera handy and windows cracked, I wait the opportunity to snap a shot and thus become a legend among the fine community of Honeymoon Lake. <clears throat> uh, yeah, no, not one shot. In fact, we've been settled here for, and we've been settled in for over a year now, and in that time, only twice have I heard a faint hoot somewhere off in the distance. <laughs> oh well, one of these days. So a couple weeks before you had Mike Cleland on your podcast, my sweetheart had me on several occasions. What? Oh, <laughs> my sweetheart asked me. On several occasions, if I had heard of any of that loud hooting that was going on outside, I thought she was joking because I spent a large percentage of my time outside or in the shop garage with the doors open and enjoying the sounds and smell of the pines and the salt air. And not one clear hoot has ever made it to my ears. You can see where this is going, probably, eh? It's going to be an owl. <laughs> I can hear the deer tromping off in the woods or the occasional scampering of rodents a hundred feet away, but not once did I hear this loud and obnoxious owl she kept commenting about. What made this even more unbelievable is that she is always inside the house, the bathroom to be exact, whenever she hears it. Fast forward to the week of show 154. It just so happens... Was that Cleland? Yeah, I think so. It just so happens that you read an email I sent quoting Darren about podcasting in his underwear. Oh, fucking. <laughs> I'm listening to you guys banter about squatty potties and chatting with Mr. Cleland. He's going on about four foot owls, time gaps and how JK Rowling is spelled with an L. When all of a sudden I feel my morning coffee kicking in, I reach for the pause button on my iPad at the very instant. My finger hits the screen. I hear it. Cleared as day and loud as fuck. Hoot! At first I thought it was a joke. Darren in post, maybe. <laughs> but fucking around like he does. We're used to the occasional lighter flick, smoke-induced, muffled talk, exhale or sound effect. But this way, this was way too loud. Hoot hoot! Again. I should do that this time. <clears throat> Darren found a way to actually mute, mute his, his <laughs> antics properly. He thought he was muting them all along. Sorry about that, listeners. <clears throat> okay, so the show is on pause now, and I'm alone in the house. The sound must be coming from outside. I turn to look out the window and make direct eye contact with the biggest goddamn bird I've ever seen in the wild. 
and it's no more than 50 feet from me, staring right at me. What an amazing sight. It sat there long enough for me to race into the study to grab the camera, but not long enough for me to snap a shot to prove our encounter ever happened. With one quick drop and a graceful glide, it was gone. I would have felt the shiver up my spine if, if, if not for the caffeine nagging my colon. It's funny how having the crap trumps everything else in life. Off to the restroom I go. Now here's where it gets weird. <laughs> As I enter the bathroom, I notice there's something wrong with the toilet. You see, my knowledge, without my knowledge, my gal purchased a squatty potty and chose that particular morning to install it at our hall bathroom. <laughs> it wasn't there a couple of hours ago for the morning piss, but there it was, just hugging the toilet bowl as if to say, sit down, son. You're about to be synchronized. <laughs> First my email, then the owl, and now a squatty potty. What next? More words with owl in it? Bowels rhyme with owls? Does that count? I swear to you both, I believe in absolutely nothing. I listen to you guys, not because I believe, but because I want to believe. I know that if I keep an open mind and constantly expose it, it will pay off and I can finally get what it is everyone else seems to be getting. And if I don't, well, nothing lost, right? As I sat with my knees in my chest on the throne with my feet on the squatty potty, I look up to hear the faint hoot echoing the woods <laughs> emanating from the skylight above me and I can't help but laugh. So this is what a synchro was like. Hmm, I never thought it would smell so bad. Stinkronicity at its best. <laughs> yeah, I find if you s scooch up to the very front of the bowl, you can cut down on some of that stink. It goes up the back way instead of the front. <laughs> Keep up the great work, guys. The world needs you to. This world especially. Hippie Billy. Well, Hippie Billy, for what it's worth, uh, I want to believe too, but I'm just not there yet. Oh, you're getting there. But... <laughs> I think you're getting more jaded. We're swapping roles. <laughs> I think I'll go with, uh, that's a pretty good one. All that lined up, I'll give it a nine. Right, wow, right on. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, what a great story. Actually, you know what? Let's go. What's he doing over there? He's adding something up on the table. 1.26, and I'll give it an 8, so I'll give it a 9.26. 9.26. I'll give it an wow. 8, and then it gets 3.42s. For what? The... Involving the show three times in three different ways, which add up to 1.26. Nice. I'll give it a 9.26. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Matt's going to be pissed now that he got such a big I forgot to give now. Matt his 0.42. So I'll give Matt a 0.42. Times six. Uh, 2.52. So Matt's up to a 6.52. There. There we go. Okay. System works. I figured I should read Clint's email as well. Because he's the one that, uh, I think he's the one that turned this on to He's going to turn us on to Neil. Yeah, Neil Adams. <clears throat> so he says, uh, hey guys, I've been speaking with you on Facebook, but not sure which one of you. The recent topic was Neil Adams. Anyway, the other night... That I was, was me. That was Darren. And thanks for the email, Clint. 
Anyways, the other night I was listening to the Grand America Show 109 with Crow 777 talking about chemtrails, etc. He mentioned orbs interacting with the trails. Back in 2009, I took some pictures that corresponded directly with, to this, and I'm out by Red Deer. I will send the pics with a short story very soon. Great shows. Have a good day. What the fuck is going on over there? What? I don't know. Did you just say... Cap out? I have an aneurysm or something. <laughs> it's fucked up. That's all good, buddy. Okay. Just making sure. So anyways, yeah, thanks, Clint. Uh, and if you're ever in, in the city, uh, drop by the studio if you want. He's only like an hour Red and a half Red deer, away, that's probably. like an hour. That's like only like 45 minutes from the job site. We had yeah. a guy that lived in Red Deer. Oh, wow. And drove every day. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, really. That's like an hour. <laughs> So speaking about uh, geoengineering. Uh, oh, okay. Here we go. And now another edition <laughs> of the Dry American Goody. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> what is that? <clears throat> you didn't make my new weather weather modification that's jingle? It. That's no, it's because it's not going to be weather modif. <laughs> it's not going to be weather modification all the time. Well, yeah, it is. So I think, Forever? It's a segment. No, no, I'm doing a segment, like four or five shows. Yeah, but segment. after that, it's going to be something else. So this show, this jingle fits the segment indefinitely, yeah. as opposed to just for the next four episodes. I forwarded you Kate Bush's video of cloud busting to incorporate some of that into the jingle, right? Can you do that? I'll play it at the beginning of the app. They already heard it. Well, it might not. you might not be able to play the whole song. I just want like a fucking two-second bit from it. Maybe I'll play it in the background in post. Anyways, I'm fascinated these days by weather modification that's been going on. There's a Senate report from 1978 that talks about... Have you been going down like YouTube rabbit holes and shit? Um, a little bit, not much. I'm really trying to stick with just reading this thing and seeing what it's all about. So I've got this 870-page Senate report on weather modification. How many I'm pages are you through? Uh... I don't know. I haven't even made it to the start of it yet. It's still in the Roman numeral section. <laughs> you're still at like, you're like minus 4%. No, I've read the whole, or most of the summary and conclusions. So 2%, less yeah. than 2%. But I wanted to start. Um, Are you going to read the whole thing? Yeah. Hmm. yeah it's that fascinating. Let me just read the chapters, oh, the boy. chapters okay. for you, the chapter titles. This will give you a taste of what this thing is full of, right? This is back from 1978, talking about weather modification that was going on since the 40s. So this is the chapter one, introduction and summary of issues. Uh, perspective, summary of issues in planned weather modification, technological problems and issues, government issues, legal issues, economic issues, social issues, international and ecological issues. Chapter two, the history of weather modification. Chapter three, technology of planned weather modification. Chapter four, inadvertent weather and climate modification. Chapter five, federal activities and weather modification. That's a big chapter. Are you reading all of them? Or do you want me to react on each <clears throat> chapter? 
Chapter 6, Review of Recommendations for a National Program in Weather Modification. <gasps> Chapter 7, State and Local Activities in Weather Modification. <gasps> Chapter 8, Private Activities <gasps> in Weather Modification. <laughs> Chapter 9, Foreign Activities in Weather Modification. Chapter 10, International Aspects of Weather Modification. Chapter 11, Legal Aspects of it. Chapter 12, Economic Aspects. 13, Ecological Aspects. And then there's like a page and a half of appendices. So what? that gives you an idea of, of like how in-depth this, this report is. How deep you're going. How deep I'm going. So I want to read a little article that has this report sort of embedded in it. Just, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite long. This is from uh, Humans Are Free. What? I'd like to get these this guys isn't on. This is from the Senate report? No. So now you're just reading uh, somebody you, else's article. Someone else's shit. Not shit. I'll get but, into this. Uh, you know, I just I, I just want to tease people with the chapter titles and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. Is it because I didn't make the jingle? Maybe. Or is it because you didn't read it? Uh, both. Okay. <clears throat> so anyways, this is an article about... Uh, it can't be both. The Saudi, the Saudi princess, Basma... Bin Saud. She's a humanitarian and daughter of King Saud. Now, she was at this conference um, in Istanbul, a security conference, and she did this presentation called Global Justice and Ethics in a Changing World Order. And basically, she's compared geoengineering science and programs to weapons of mass destruction. So... <clears throat> In recent years, there has been a decline in the support for weather modification research and a tendency to move directly into operational projects. That's from the World Meteorological Association. For those of you who don't know, geoengineering is a deliberate and large-scale intervention into the Earth's climactic system. This is done through various means, one of which is spraying of chemicals into the atmosphere via planes. Weather modification actually dates back to the 1940s when the General Electric Company demonstrated that a cloud of supercooled water droplets could be transformed into ice crystals when seeded with dry ice. Shortly after this, it was discovered that fine particles of pure silver iode, iodide with a crystal structure similar to that of ice could be effectively used for global weather, weather modification. So there we have General Electric already involved way back then. That's in the 40s. The Hughes Aircraft Company even has a patent dating back more than 20 years to 1990. You can look at the patent here. It contains 18 claims to reduce global warming through stratospheric seeding with aluminum oxide, thorium oxide, and refractory Westbach material. That's just people <clears throat> trying to get out in front of the fucking global warming. They're trying to cash in. 1940, oh, what does that say? Since the inception of the 1940s, geoengineering programs have become increasingly more ubiquitous, springing up at various universities around the globe. So, and then there's this program in the United Kingdom called SPICE, which is a government-funded geoengineering research project that collaborates with the universities of Oxford, Cambridge, and Edinburgh, and Bristol. Some of the proposed particles to spray in the air include... Sulfate, sulfuric acid, sulfur dioxide, titania, silica, silicon carbide, K2, 
calcium carbonate, alumina, silica, and zinc oxide. They refer to it as solar radiation management. And the idea is to spray these chemicals into the atmosphere in order to combat the effects of global warming by deflecting them away from the Earth's surface. So what are you saying about getting ahead of the global warming thing? That was in the 40s. No, this or, is re- oh. this is recent. That one's yeah, recent. Yeah, people just trying to cash in on the global warming hype. That's why they're patenting it. Recently? Yeah. What about the earlier ones? And they were trying to cash in on the dust bowl, <laughs> making it rain. Make it rain in here. So you, so you think that maybe they're taking advantage of the the so-called global warming and they're trying to geoengineer it away or whatever? Yeah, yeah, and sell and it. And they're just making money on that? Are trying to Jesus, and this is just Malcolm's the reason. this is just the stuff that's public, right? So, that's what right. about all the ones that have been going on for a while? That's the shit they sell to the military. Mm. So, the CIA and NASA are certainly supporting <laughs> what NASA Bahamas? Oh, no, that's, that's NASA. Nassau. <laughs> <laughs> the CIA and NASA are, are certainly supporting the National Academy of Sciences with regards to geoengineering hearing projects this is quite clear in the united states government printed out at the request of the united states senate committee on commerce science and transportation of november 1978 so that's the one that i just read you the chap the chapters of so we don't have to go into that so she's um she's not just a a princess, the princess, or it's not just a princess who's speaking out against these programs. Concerns have been voiced for years from various individuals from all over the world. For example, Rosalind Peterson, president and co-founder of the Agricultural Defense Coalition, an ex-United States Department of Agriculture employee. She made this statement in 20, 2007. Oh, I think we've seen this video, actually. <clears throat> I think this is the sort of the viral video, and I don't know if people have tried to debunk it or not, but she made the station, uh, the statement in 2007, the United Nations hearing on global warning, warming, <clears throat> global warming, warning, warning. One of the things that is affected by climate change is agriculture, but some of what we're seeing is man-made, but man-made in a different way than you may guess. Weather modification programs, experimental ones done by private companies, done by the U S government, done by States across the United States are underway. There's more than 50 of them in operation across the United States. All of these impact agriculture because they change the microclimates needed for agriculture to survive. None of these programs that I know of today, and this is none of these programs that I know of today, and this is all public record, are available at any time with oversight. International corporations are modifying our weather all the time, and they're modifying it in ways that cover thousands and thousands of square miles. Most of it is chemically altered so that what happens is that we are putting chemicals, ground-based chemicals that are shot into the air or chemicals coming from airplanes that change and modify our weather. Interesting, eh? Semi. That spice, the, the United K one, the spice one, they were actually talking about like this 24-kilometer-long hose from a big balloon. I wonder if that's stuff. something that people were catching on to back in the 90s, and that's why the Spice Girls came out. No, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But it was from the UK, though. Yeah. Maybe that's why they named it that way. Yeah. More Google hits or something. There's no fucking Google. 
So Dr. Marvin Herndon, PhD, a nuclear chemist, geochemist, and cosmochemist, has published a groundbreaking paper in the peer-reviewed journal Current Science. Aluminum Poisoning of Humanity and Earth's Biota by Clandestine Geoengineering Activity. Implications for India. And he demonstrates how dangerous geoengineering is to the health of both humans and the environment. The abstract reads as follows. In response to an urgent call through an article of in Current Science for assistance to understand the geological association of high aluminum mobility with human health in the Ganga alluvial plain, I describe evidence of clandestine geoengineering activity that has occurred for at least 15 years. That's the one. And which has escalated sharply in the last two years. The geoengineering activity via tanker jet aircraft and places a non-natural toxic substance in the Earth's atmosphere, which with rainwater liberates highly mobile aluminum. Further, I present evidence that the toxic substance is coal combustion fly ash. Clandestine dispersal of coal fly ash and the resulting liberation of highly mobile aluminum, I posit, is an underlying cause of the widespread and pronounced increase in neurobiological diseases, as well as currently widespread and increasing debilitation of Earth's biota. Recommendations are made for verifying whether the evidence presented here is applicable to the Ganga alluvial plain. Hmm. It goes on. I'm almost done. Dr. Rose Cairns, a PhD who belongs to the University of Leeds School of Earth and Environment, published a paper in the peer-reviewed journal Geophysical Journal titled Climates of Suspicion, Chemtrail Conspiracy Narratives, and the International Politics of Geoengineering. In her paper, she describes development in the mainstream academic and political discourse regarding geoengineering and how climate modification also being discussed by the citizens of the world, in in brackets who use the term chemtrails, is having devastating ecological and health effects worldwide. According to her paper, understanding the emerging politics of geoengineering and taking serious claims regarding the importance of public participation requires an understanding of the whole discursive landscape around ideas of global climate control, including marginal ideas such as those held by chemtrail activists. Ignoring or dismissing these discourses out of hand as pathological or paranoid is to ignore potentially revealing insights about the emerging politics of geoengineering. So, there you have it, buddy. I'm not, you know, I don't want to get down there. Um, Thanks. I don't want to go down the extreme like chemtrail side of this because I want to stick to the stuff that's, you know, in the Senate report, for example, it just shows that there's all this fucking stuff going on. Patents and shit from the 40s, people fucking around with the weather from the 40s. So, you know, I don't know what do you, what do you want to call it. Uh, stuff's getting sprayed or not, but it's pretty interesting stuff. Kate Bush was on to something. think so. Is she dead? <laughs> She's making a comeback. Is she? No, she did a couple years years ago. This comeback didn't go well. <laughs> Maybe you could take up the case, take up the cause. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, man? I think you should take up the cause. Maybe you could take over a website or something. Oh come on. Oh no. 
wouldn't be interested. No. Or like change one letter. Or maybe add 2.0. <laughs> I guess you couldn't put the point. Anyway. I digress. I prefer the Senate report. Yo, yeah, I'll stick with that. I just that that one was kind of a good summary of it. Had a few different points in it. I'll link to it in the show notes. Absolutely, everybody can get it. Speaking of the show notes, Ooh. big thanks to everyone who's uh, entered, uh, made a donation to enter the the draw. I think we sold about twenty five tickets so far. Yeah, it's so great. We're like, so we're like twenty percent done. Yeah, yeah. there's about a hundred left. So get them while they're hot. Uh, of course, those are 20 bucks each, three for 50. Do you want to tell people what we're doing? Getting uh, hopefully a new recording computer before this recording computer breaks this, down. This nine-year-old recording computer? Yeah, our IT specialist has advised us <laughs> to be proactive instead of reactive in this regard. So we thought we'd, uh, yeah, we thought we'd try and raise some funds and donate to the show. <laughs> we'll give away, what, what are we doing? We're giving away an iPad fully, not fully, but... Um, partially loaded with Grand America goodies yeah. and and a bunch of swag and then a chance to or not a and chance an to an opportunity to interview join us in an interview with the guest of your choice as long as of course we can get them on and stuff exactly yeah so yeah 20 bucks each 50 dollars for three chances and uh we really really appreciate that seems to be the popular one we really appreciate everybody that's that's yeah. helped us out absolutely and if you haven't got yours, get yours now. Of course, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support and uh, sign up for a monthly if you can as well. But, oh, shit, that reminds me. I also want to reply. Uh, another person who I think what happens is people do their subscription and then they hit the donate button below instead of above. And they end up, but I don't know. What? We've had a couple people now that have thought they've signed up for a subscription but have just made a donation. Mm. Well, so somebody, I don't know how to, I don't know, to maybe, maybe somebody can do that and then let us know if they can troubleshoot along the way. <laughs> I also want to reply from the other day. If they're listening, it was a donation, not a subscription. But anyway, uh, check that out. That helps us pay the bills. Of course, uh, Spam Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M, not how it sounds, by Darren's tongue, at grammerica.com. And yeah, send us your stories and your synchronicities, your experiences, feedback, trip reports. We have a great trip report jingle that we haven't been able to use yet. I thought you were... Not that one, the new one. Oh, I don't have that on here yet. Oh, you don't have that on... Oh, my God. Why, do you have a jingle? Do you have a report? No, but what if I did? You wouldn't be ready. Whatever. So I'm linking to uh, to Napoleon's website Speaking in here as well because Napoleon. All right, this is the profound UFO quote of the week, and I am ready. I'm always ready. No, you've were, proven that you're not. Even were, if it's less than one percent of the time, I've caught you not ready. That's true. So there were bright objects hanging over the sea. The closest object was luminous, round, about four to five times larger than a whirlwind helicopter. The object separated. Then one went west of the other. As it maneuvered, it changed shape to become body-shaped with projections like arms and legs. 
That was Flight Lieutenant A.M. Wood, RAF, Balmer, Northumberland. UFO also correlated on multiple radar and witnessed by two RAF personnel. RAF? Yeah, Royal Air Force. Yeah. Thanks, tips. Okay. <laughs> I would have had to refer to the UK posse. Yeah. Almost got you. All right, so that's about it, eh? That's it, eh? I should uh, do a little quick bio for Neil Adams, because usually I do a bio during the interview, but we just jumped right into the chat. Yeah, so, I just kind of hit record yeah. when we realized that Neil <laughs> did no real. going back. Yeah, there was no going back. Once he <laughs> realized that Neil was going and that, uh, yeah, it would have been weird to stop him. Yeah, what a great... So the recording's going to start, the music's going to come in, and then the recording's just going to kind of jump in mid-sentence. Yeah, what a great chat. Grab your pen and paper or your little Evernote or your notes or whatever you're using because there's lots of information in here. Yeah, and of course, check out the show no, notes. No, if I just wait. i got to do a quick little bio oh, for, bio for Neil. So, so what I'm saying is... All right, go. No, so Neil, Neil is... Uh, he's considered a legend in the comic book industry. He's a co-founder of Continuity Associates Design... Continuity? St- continuity, that's the one. Associates Design Studio. And he was inducted into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. He's He's been... He's, you know, he's revived Green Lantern. A whole bunch of stuff. Uh, get, Napoleon gets a chance to pick his brain out there in this interview. and But he's also devoted a lot of time to studying science, like cosmology and physics and the uh, the planets and the Growing solar system. Earth. It's pretty, some pretty deep, interesting shit. So I'm glad he spent a lot of time doing that. And he articulates it very well. Yeah, he does. It goes pretty good. He's, he's able to talk about things and uh, yeah, a real down-to-earth level. Yeah. Which, so, yeah, uh, which yeah. is a real sign of intelligence. Um, and check out the show notes because you should have the videos in the show notes probably. What videos are those? Some of his videos so that people can, uh, if it seems a little bit much at times, the videos do really help. Yeah, some of, them, and, some of them are pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, like, and, they're, and they're really only a couple minutes long. It's not like you have to sit there through an hour. There's a couple of them you can watch two minutes and you can see what he's talking about. But I think there's one on uh, the moon of, uh, is it Titan or? Europa. Europa. I love the moon names. Ganymede, Titan, and Europa. Some some good names. Okay. <laughs> is it the Europa one where they where he puts it back together? And it's yeah. crazy. Well, it uh, lines up it just as good as up. the continents. Yeah. yeah. No, better. Like, really. It's very It's visible. a really fucking interesting philosophy. Yeah. Theory. I guess philosophy is the wrong word. It's, uh, uh, yeah, well, I'm not ruling it out. That's for sure. It's really interesting stuff. It sent me down a rabbit hole that I'm still not getting out of. (laughs) That's good, man. You're going down a few lately. I've been down the 9 11 thing. (sighs) Yeah. We're going to have to approach that one these days. Between Trump and 9 11 and fucking Antarctica and this fucking expanding or not expanding growing earth i'm fucking all over the place you know which Someone's one i'm gonna come knocking on the door <laughs> mr grimes yeah, youtube search <laughs> have to come with us sir i think the first time they give you a warning they just rough you up a little i'm prepared to go down a couple other ones as well i, I was talking to, i was in vancouver um big shout out to donovan did i tell you about that donovan and uh, michael one of the guys in a uh, 
emailed us about the sleep paralysis and my sister Joe, oh. we went out uh, for dinner and had great conversation. It was awesome. Michael got me into, uh, I don't know, have you ever heard of the toxoplasmosis? No. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's a deep one. Really oh. deep. I'll have to get into that next week. This well, episode's it's not, it's already going to be. It's going to be a couple months before I can even broach that one. This episode's already going to be well over three hours. Right on. Well, we better like, Again, get going. For free. Thanks, Neil. For free, yeah. Donate yeah. to the show. Thanks. Donate to the show. Keep us ad-free, sponsor-free, portal-free. And coming out with uh, great, uncut, uh, uninterrupted interviews like this. Neil's one of those guys you'd hate to see. He's like a Randall Carlson. One of those yeah. guys that a commercial just totally fucks him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or fucking interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Imagine having to imagine having to, to, to break this guy up every fifteen minutes for a commercial. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Keep that flow. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with Neil. And uh, we'll see if Graham makes it back from cat skiing in one piece. If not, uh, you can email me your host suggestion. Replacement host suggestion. Actually I think Justin. He'd be the one. Suggestion? Suggestion. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat. love science i love everything about science i like art it's to me uh, art and science actually for some people certainly me go together nice and i was always interested uh, since i was like how does that, that phone work i don't understand can you t- explain how that phone works so i can explain how the phone works and all, all that stuff is to me it's like uh, it's like reading a comic book i used to go to uh before I got home from school, when I was in junior high school, I would stop off at the local library, a little lending library right on the corner, and I would read science books. And then they would set up these experiments, and they would have, you know, this, the experiment and how you perform the experiment. And then if you turn the page, they would give you the conclusion. So I used to, like, I would read the thing, and then I would stop, and I would think about it. What is the conclusion? And I'd turn the page and read, oh, oh I didn't get that. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that stuff. It's just great. It's like uh, it's like reading a mystery story. Anyway, um, when I was a teenager, I ran across this, well, me and millions of other people um, ran across this uh, this theory, okay, that, uh, that was promulgated by an Australian uh, geologist uh, called the Expanding Earth Theory. Yeah. And, and uh, Sam Carey... Um, actually wrote two books on it and and we're this was at a time when uh when it had <laughs> the world discovered that this guy named Wegener uh was right when he said that the uh North American continent was together with Europe and uh, and South American continent was together with Africa which was 
really, really impossible to believe. I mean, the idea that Africa and South America once fit together, and because they're, you know, they're located on the crust of the earth, which is like, a, you know, like your yard, and the continent is like a tree stump in your yard, and how did this tree stump go over and and break apart from that tree stump it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and so even though people down through the years from darwin and and others recognize the the coincidence of the shapes of africa and south america and that seem like they fit together still it was too ridiculous in fact when i was 10 years old i said to my father Dad, you know, it looks like South America and Africa kind of fit together. And he said, yeah, but that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And it was true, as it turns out. Uh, They did fit together. Uh, And so so, uh, the geologists, uh, because they actually then came up with evidence. This guy named Wegener uh, said this, you know, that they fit together, but he couldn't say how. It, It didn't make any sense. And then all these things started to happen, like um, there was this ship called the Long Lines that was owned by the Bell Telephone Company, and it would lay transatlantic cables across the uh, the Atlantic. And periodically, every month or so, the cable would burn through. <laughs> and they'd pull it up, and it'd be all melted. And they'd go, what the hell's going on? You know, and they put down another cable, repair it, put a whole new section, and drop it down to the bottom of the ocean floor. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, the thing would burn through again. And they're, what the heck is going on? And then they, they, as they investigated these things, they discovered that, you know, that the certain animals on certain continents were the same as other animals on other continents or very similar. And trees, for example, on, in Europe are the same as trees in North America. In fact, the trees in uh, Canada, northern Canada, are the same as the trees in China. And so they started to put these things together. And, and as they were, as they were advancing also in uh, paleontology, they they discovered things about dinosaurs, that certain dinosaurs were on all seven continents of the Earth. That, that obviously, uh, the continents were together. And, and the way they were together was that in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean was a giant rift. And that rift would spread open uh, for 100, it actually spread open for 180 million years. 180 million years ago, years ago, that that land was together, and a crack a, a crack formed, and material from inside of the crust of the Earth, not inside the Earth, but inside the crust of the Earth, just under the crust, would come up and fill the space, you know, like a scab. And so, then it would crack open again, and then a, a scab would form, and then it would crack open again, and a scab would form, and that is how we get the Atlantic Ocean which is 5,000 miles wide. Hmm. Sam Carey said, you know, guys, um, we really, if we're responsible geologists, we can't just say that this land moved apart without showing where it went. (laughs) You know, you can't, it it doesn't make any sense. It, It can't just move apart. There has to be some place where it goes. So we're responsible for that. You, we're, it's our business as geologists to be able to explain that as well. And, uh, and many geologists were just, you know, pissed off at him. I mean, just why you, you know, shut up, uh, Sam, what the hell are you doing? 
And so he started to crawl under everybody's ass, and he wrote a book on it. He said, you know, somehow the only way I can explain this, okay, is if the earth was a given size and it expanded, somehow got bigger, and the crust of the earth, which covered the whole of a smaller earth, cracked apart and spread apart in the Pacific as well as the Atlantic. And this pissed the geologists off like crazy because then they were, of course, up against the physicists who said, you can't say that because you're not really saying that, you know, that, that, uh, that the Earth, you know, expanded like a balloon. You're saying that new matter was created. And so how do you explain that, assholes? And, of course, Sam Carey couldn't explain that because he was a geologist, not a physicist. Nor were there any physicists raising their hands saying, I can explain that because they can't explain it. They can't even explain the expanding universe, which, by the way, there's rules in physics. One of those rules is nothing expands. <clears throat> nothing expands unless you add another force to it. For example, you can eat something and it might expand. Sometimes it doesn't actually get smaller, but you can heat something. You can add pressure. You can add a certain chemical combination and a thing may expand. But if you don't do anything, nothing expands. Unfortunately for physics, Hubble came along and said, gee, everything seems to be moving outward. And so physics said, well, okay, um, just uh, blow smoke in the face of the people for a while and then tell them that the universe is expanding. Mm -hmm. And if somebody says, but you just told me last page that nothing expands, uh, ignore them. <laughs> just tell them to go to hell. Go to hell. Just ignore them. Because you know what? We can't explain this. So we have to say that the universe is expanding even though we believe nothing expands. What about uh, couldn't, couldn't uh, like initial velocity come into play? Like the, oh, you mean the if something exploded? That... You mean if something exploded? Yeah, exactly. Or if somehow well, it's just well, you know, you know, carrying on momentum. That that could happen. That could happen. I mean, if if it exploded, but there would, you kind of think there has to be something there to begin with to explode. And you know what? That is really not the question we want the answer to. We want the question we want the answer to is where did it come from in the first place? It's okay to do something like, oh, I put a bunch of dirt in the yard and I blew it up and then it fell to the earth and I blew it up again and it fell to the earth and I blew it up again and it fell to the earth. That's okay, you're, you're uh, describing a process, but you're not telling me where the dirt came from, you see, because that's really the question. But we'll take the second question and we'll pretend God made it or the Wizard of Oz made the universe. Okay, we'll pretend that for a moment, made the universe and blew it up. Uh, why it would blow it up, I have no idea because that doesn't make any sense because there's no process in physics that would account for that. But... We'll put that aside, too, even though it doesn't make any sense, and we'll just say, ah, uh, it blew up. Okay, it was all in this little walnut or whatever it is, and it blew up. If it blew up, okay, then as time goes by, it would slow down, and then gravity would catch it and start to bring it back, right? Huh. Say right. You have to say right yeah. now. Huh. Right. right. Exactly. Okay, a thank you. A okay. Well, what we discovered about 12 years ago is that as we measure the universe, 
It's accelerating outward. Yeah. It's actually going faster with time. <clears throat> oh, now we have to come up with another bullshit theory so we can explain it to people so they'll believe some other ratty bullshit, okay? But what, you know, all that happens is we out here in the world suffer the theories of scientists who can't explain the last thing that they made up a theory for. So now, once you find out something that doesn't make any sense based on the last theory, then you make up another theory. And people will believe it because we're wearing white coats, right? And we wear glasses and we're balding and you got to believe us. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe in theories. And in fact, one of the bases of what I do is I say, well, okay, why don't we just take all the theories and throw them aside and just deal with the facts? Okay, I like facts. Facts are juicy and they're like luscious and they don't change like, you know, nothing expands. <laughs> I like that one. That's a fact. Nothing expands. So what you're saying about the universe is wrong. And guess what? Twelve years ago, we proved that it was wrong except that you made another bullshit theory up, but fine. Okay, that's what you do, that's your job. But going back to Earth, okay, <laughs> going back to Sam Carey, who said, you know, guys, uh, you can't say all this stuff. Well, all the other geologists, well, not all the other geologists, kind of a, lot of, a lot of geologists agreed with Sam Carey. And Sam Carey actually became kind of a figurehead in this theory, you know, this expanding Earth theory. Then one day, two scientists discovered seismically that there was a place in the Western Pacific that subducted a certain portion of the ocean bottom under another portion of the ocean bottom. It's called subduction. Hmm. And they said, maybe the Earth eats its own skin. <laughs> okay. And so they said, and then, oh, they pre presented it to us because we're the gullible jerks we are. They said, the earth is eating its own skin, and it's called subduction, and Sam Carey is wrong. Goodbye, Sam. Okay? Wow. We're, we're rid of him. Then the physicists can get off our backs because they're just a bunch of jerks. Okay? And so they put aside Sam Carey. Okay? And so... You know, that was, and, and no matter what Sam said, no matter what proof he had, whatever they wanted, they were so grateful to get rid of Sam that they would just like, practically had a celebration. They were toasting each other and all this. If you read any books of the time, you know, they were, oh, thank God, you know. <laughs> subduction, we found subduction. Hmm. When did subduction start? <laughs> Who cares? How much subduction is going on? Can, it can eat the whole of the ocean crust it can eat the continents right it can eat at first they said it eats the continents too mm, no uh, it took them about 15 years to discover that it can't eat the continents why can't it eat the continents because the continents are made of granitic rock and then they wouldn't fit together anymore either yeah well they don't they wouldn't fit together exactly but it's made of granitic rock which is lighter than the ocean floor the ocean floor is 3.3 times the weight of water whereas granitic rock is 2.7 times the weight of water making it too light to subduct hmm. can you okay. can you explain that subduction a bit more i'm not following exactly what it's like well, where the thing goes yeah. under the crust oh right. okay it's, oh, as if, it's as if you, you put your hands together side by side, and then you lower one of them so that it oh, slides okay, under yeah, the yeah. other. Okay. So that happens not in the continents, but it happens in the deep ocean. It doesn't happen next to the continents. 
although some people think it does or right. say it does. It happens in the ocean, but it happens in the Western Pacific. Now, in my studies, I've discovered why this happened and how it happened historically, geologically, because guess what? I've decided to study it more than everybody else. And how much did everybody else study it? About 5%, because they really are convinced that it's happening and that the whole Earth is eating itself. Now, as it turns out, there is no bit of the Pacific Ocean that is older than 180 million years old. Pacific Ocean is at least twice the size of the Atlantic. So if the Pacific subducted to make up for the spread of the Atlantic, then half of it would still be older than 180 million years old. Turns out it's not. In fact, both the Atlantic and the Pacific began to spread 180 million years ago at exactly the same time. And yes, there is subduction going on in the Pacific, and it's really wonderful and marvelous, but you have to know how much subduction there is and when it began. As it turns out, if you just do a little math and you read the maps and you understand the maps, it actually only started 60 million years ago. That means between 180 million years ago and 60 million years ago, there was no subduction. Yet the, the Atlantic was spreading and the Pacific was spreading as well. So the facts, the facts as presented by geology are just like a relief fact. You know, like, oh, thank God, Carrie's wrong, tell him to go to hell. Uh, the, they're just things to, like, get by because we don't want to have to explain to the physicists that they may have to change their whole concept of the universe because the Earth is, guess what, growing. <laughs> And is that when was when would that when was that research compared to like Pangaea? Did Pangaea come around after that, or was that before? Before it that? all happened. At, it all happened at the same time. It's okay. like when something happened. You know, like when you discuss the evolution of the species. You know, what when did that happen? Well, it didn't happen. It's been going on for billions of years. But guess what? You know, we're having an argument argument about it, and you say this, and I say that, and you say this, and I say that. So all this was going on in the sixties, right? So Sam Carey writes his books, and the, and the geologists discover subduction, and they go, Whew, thank God we can get rid of Sam Carey. Sam Carey kept on teaching geology, but his basic reputation was ruined. The greatest, perhaps, geologist in the history of mankind has been pushed aside. And now, by the way, five or six years ago, died. Okay? Mm. So, we have, so we have this wonderful theory that says the Earth grew, okay, or actually expanded. Sam Carey said expanded, but Sam Carey was a geologist. He really didn't study physics that much. I mean, he studied, you know, to the, like how much you did, you know. So I decided at that time, well, you know, I don't necessarily believe this bullshit, but still, uh, if this in fact happened, why don't I study the physics that allows it to happen? In other words, there's got to be a mechanism that allows this to happen because... Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like, you know, the cable being cut in the Atlantic. What the hell caused that? Well, it turns out there's something. Well, what I studied is all of science. And so I took a different philosophical approach to all of this. I said, okay, first, no theories. We're just going to study the facts, okay? Second, I'm going to not only throw away theories, I'm going to begin at the beginning again and study all of science, all areas of science. That's a lot. But you know what? 
there's a lot of stuff you can throw away like math. You don't really need all that math to study science because you have computers. You have a problem with math, you just get the computer out, you do it. Or if you have a really big problem, you call a mathematician. I happen to know some. You pay him $800, and he does, solves all the problems in the world that you want to solve. I happen to have $800, so I can do that. Now, some of, of the best guests we've had on have been multidisciplinary, right? It seems to be like a trend. A lot of these people putting all the pieces together, right? And all the, all the scientists are stuck in their little... Um, you know, specialties, specialties. Specialties. Yeah, they're stuck in it. Well, I I run into this all the time. I'll talk to a physicist, and I'll take my conversation a, a little ways down the way, and he'll say, "Ah, oh, that's out of my specialty. I don't know know about that." I have to talk to my my friend, the, the head of the geology department. No, you don't. You just have to pick up a goddamn book. You know, really pick up a book. You know, and it'll be right in there. All you have to do, no. I'll talk to my friend who's the head of the geology department. Well, you know, that's okay, fine. So the other thing is, the third thing is, um, what I do is I'd reduce it to a a common language. I call it street English. I know it's very strange and odd to hear that, but I call it English. So if somebody in science talks to me in this strange specialty language, I say, no, you have to tell me what that word means. Well, you don't know the word, what the word means. That means you're not, you haven't studied. No, no, I have studied and I know what the word means, but in our conversation, you're going to tell me what that word means. Well, I, what, I, I don't choose to do that. Well, then go, go to hell because then I'm not going to talk to you because unless you can speak the common language that I speak, then there's no communication. And you'll find that maybe your definition of that word is not the same as my definition, definition of that word. I, I have a theory, okay, it's called dead eyes, okay? You can have a physicist and a geologist talking to one another, and the geologist is saying something, or the physicist, that doesn't really matter. Within two sentences, the other guy gets dead eyes, meaning that there are enough words in that guy's sentences that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't understand what the hell the guy's talking about. And that can go either way, because... It's a, it's a language problem. They are talking a different language, all of them, okay? And so you can see it in people. I mean, if you're an observer of human nature, you can see dead eyes happen right across the table. You talk, somebody's talking, and Fred goes, poop, gone, brain's gone. He doesn't understand what the heck that guy's talking about because he doesn't understand the words. And he doesn't want to stop the guy because, one, it makes him seem stupid, and two, he doesn't want to have that poor guy explain all this stuff, okay? I do. I prefer to have it explained. Because, you know, after a while, people can be reduced to talking in common English. And when they do that, then communication happens. Yeah. And that's what I found about specialties. Specialties, specialists can only communicate with people in their own specialty. So how is a physicist who looks at Sam Carey's failed attempt to explain something. How is he going to dedicate his life to finding the physics that's going to explain what Sam Carey said? He's not going to do it. He's not going to. It's a failed theory. You're going to have to find somebody really stupid, okay, who doesn't have, whose whose livelihood doesn't depend on this, who's not looking for tenure, who's not looking for friends, okay, and, and you're going to have to get that poor sucker to study the physics on this because nobody else in the world will. Or funding. I mean, that's a big one, right? If they're not getting funding, no, they're not no, going to no. look at it. You don't it. need that. No, you just need an, an idiot, idiot like me. <laughs> 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 you 
You just need a jerk like me. Because you know what? I got nothing to gain. I, I got no tenure. I don't know. My, I don't, my friends can't. Don't even, I can empty a room in two minutes. You got to have some thick skin, though. Skin. That's for sure. You gotta, oh, yeah. But I have thick skin because you know what? <laughs> for somebody who's sitting around that table who knows something about me in the comic book business knows that mm. I have thick skin. Yeah. Very, very, oh, very thick skin. Because I've taken the hits. Big time. So and you, I changed and I changed the business. So, so do you leave? Mm -hmm. uh, do you leave room for Pangea? I guess it's just a difference. Your opinion is more a difference oh, yeah. of how it, Pangea, how it Pangea, came, came apart. Pangea is a hundred percent right, except that it wrapped around the whole of a smaller Earth. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing, and that's the thing that's so incredible about it is that the idea. Listen to. Listen to the fairy tale that you'll hear from geology. Okay, you just have to listen. Just listen. So let me tell you, it's a fairy tale. All the continents or all the continental material of Earth, including islands, has to be islands too because you can't have a separate evolution of animals, okay, because we learned that from Darwin. All the land masses, continental land masses, traveled around the Earth to have a Star Trek convention on one side <laughs> of the Earth. Nice. On one side. And the rest of the Earth was water world. Two-thirds of the rest of the world was water world with water of, of averaging two and a half miles deep. What's the average all, today? Huh? What's well, the average yeah, today? Yeah, yeah, about that. Would it's it have been average. deeper then? Uh, no. Who knows? I can, give, I can tell you why it wasn't deeper. Believe me, you, you're not anywhere near into the depth of this uh, uh, that I can tell you. So all the continents were on this side of the earth, but, okay, well, first we'll go forward. We'll go forward in time. So they, so they were all on one side of the earth, okay, and they stayed that way for 350 million years. Didn't change. Really? Oh, yeah, all through the age of the reptiles, all through the age of animals, reptiles, and dinosaurs, and up until uh, 180 million years ago. They, it had to stay that way because otherwise you couldn't have the free migration of animals to the various continents, right? right. So it had to stay that way. Didn't, didn't break apart, didn't do anything, just sat there, okay? Then somebody shot the gun off, and the thing broke in half and spread apart. Half of it spread to the top, half of it spread to the bottom. In fact, the one that spread to the bottom spread to so far to the bottom that it deposited Antarctica on the very bottom <laughs> of, the, of the Earth. Okay, and the top part went up so that the North Pole somehow the uh, Alaska and Alaska, northern Canada, and China somehow joined together. Okay, making a space between them of several thousand miles, and they call that the Tethys Sea. Okay, they made up a sea. There's no evidence of a Tethys Sea. There isn't a clue of the Tethys Sea. You can examine the ocean bottom. There's nothing to indicate it except theory, okay? But that's what they did. Then those continents, okay, the one on the top broke into two kind of big blobs, you know, two pieces, North American continent and then Asia, okay, Asia, Eurasia. The bottom broke into four continents. It deposited its core at, in Antarctica, and then Australia broke off of Antarctica. Africa and South America broke apart. Now, here's the, the wonderful thing, okay? These are, these are continental pieces that are moving apart, right? First broken in two, then going down to the bottom of the earth and going up to the top of the earth. 
then breaking apart and then moving back together, okay, and at the same time moving laterally around the planet, and magically North America and South America come together in this little, little thin Central America and join perfectly where they were before. <laughs> hmm. Unbelievable. That's a good point. Not only that, Africa coming up to Eurasia managed to slide into the Suez area exactly where it left it when it broke apart. After traveling 3,000 miles laterally and 5,000 miles down, magically came together at the exact same spot that it broke apart. Oh, Lordy. Anyway, now that's not the most incredible thing, okay? Most incredible thing is before Pangaea, those continents 700 million years ago were together on the other side of the earth, okay? They were an island on the other side of the earth that the geologists call Rodinia, okay? And on the other side of the earth, 700 million years ago, they broke apart and traveled around the earth to join up again in Pangaea. Oh. This is my fairy tale for the day, folks. <laughs> no. I, um, I don't know why, you know, I, I, it's hard to believe this. I, I, I don't know why. It's dumb as a tree. Dumb mm. as a tree. And there's so many things that are dumb about it that you can barely count them. For example, you have, oh, dinosaurs that weigh uh, sauropods that weigh 60 and more tons. Imagine the sauropod weighing 60 tons walking around in the gravity that we have today. Our biggest, our biggest land animal is an elephant, okay? It weighs six tons, maybe seven, okay? It walks on straight legs. In other words, it doesn't run. An elephant cannot run. It doesn't bend its legs and run. It, it walks with its legs like tent poles. The bottom part does flip back, but essentially they're like tent poles. The bones are put together like tent poles because it's carrying around six and seven tons, okay? And that's why, that's why the legs are structured the way they are. In fact, hippos and rhinos are the same way. Their legs, they, they don't actually run the way a dog runs or a deer runs or any other animal runs. They run stiff-legged. They have to because their legs would break and their sinews would snap. Dinosaurs, okay, sometimes, well, you have T-Rex, for example. T-Rex can be anywhere from six tons to 12 tons. And it walks and it moved around on two legs and its two legs were bent, like S, S bent, this way, that way, this way, okay? And it apparently chased down prey. So you turn on your television, your Discovery Channel, and your Discovery Channel gets some uh, paleontologist comes on and say, look, uh, listen, people, a T-Rex could not run. It walked. So it was, it was a, a walking animal. It was a scavenger. Really? A T-Rex, it's got legs like a tiger. It's got legs like a tiger. In fact, when they did, when they did a T-Rex in Jurassic Park the first, uh, the first time around, they had a, a Jeep driving away from it at 50 miles an hour. They announced it, that we're going 50 miles an hour. And the T-Rex was behind them walking, walking at 50 miles an hour, okay? Walking, it wasn't running, it was walking. 
Anyway, so you have you have this this uh, T Rex with bent legs. He lives by catching and eating prey. Okay, so how can he not run as fast as his prey, which, by the way, probably ran about seventy miles an hour. And if he ran seventy miles an hour and he whipped his head around, and we had the gravity that we have today. A T-Rex's head is about the size of a, a motorcycle. So if he whipped his head around, his head would fall off. Because if you had a motorcycle and you whipped it around, it would pretty much fly off. So the T-Rex, the T-Rex cannot exist in this gravity. It can't exist in this gravity and do what it would do. And so the paleontologists make up excuses. They say, well, what happened with the T-Rex probably is that as it got older, the teenage T-Rexes would go out and get meat for it and give it to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that of scavengers. Yes. Yeah, so. right, right, right. Mm. Yeah, oh, and then one other guy said, pro- proposed this theory, said, see, what they do is they're like, they're scavengers, and they only move quickly for a little, little short burst, and so they hide behind things, and if something comes by, they leap on it. And, and To which I would say, how big does a thing have to be to hide a T-Rex? They're 20 feet tall. What, <laughs> what, what, what would hide a T-Rex? I'm sorry. You people are out of your minds. And this is the problem, is that every bit of evidence that you look at is like the dinosaur problem. There's a thing um, uh, that we know in, well, in I've physics. I've heard about it, bigger, bigger uh, humans at one point too, right? Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, right. I guess there were giants. There are giants now, aren't they? They die early and they're uh, unhealthy. You think they could have been healthy, though, if there was a race of human-like things when the planet was smaller? We we had Watusis in Africa that were uh, very often seven feet tall. They were very thin, and uh, some of them still exist. This this shouldn't surprise me. If you're asking me if there's somebody somebody 12 feet tall, I'd say pretty hard. Pretty hard. We don't. The gravity doesn't change that fast. We're talking about sixty million years ago. We've been right. human beings for the last million years. Yeah. I mean, I look at really. I don't, I'm not involved in this. I can understand how somebody might think when I talk about these things that maybe I'm one of these conspiracy nuts who thinks that all this, you know, Noah's Ark and all the rest of that crap. None of that is true. I study science and I study facts. And one of the things that I am is disciplined. I'm disciplined in my art and what I do. I'm disciplined in my life. I'm disciplined in my business and my accounting, and I'm disciplined in science. And if I don't know the answer, I crack a book and I study it. And if it's not in the book, I don't believe it. And if it's not listed as a fact, I think it's a theory. And and as far as I'm concerned, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. It's just another theory. And we live in a world... Uh, where our science is based on theory upon theory upon theory upon theory, and all you have to do is kick the one out from the bottom, and pretty much everything collapses. And that's where we are, and that's what's happened in science throughout history. Once Galileo looked at the moon and looked at the sun, everything went by the boards because it's wrong. What what, what was going? What people were saying was wrong, but we didn't know, so we believed all this dumb stuff. In this. We have a universe that's moving outward. In this, we have an Earth that seems to be getting bigger. Its, cr- its surface cracks and spreads apart. Okay, 
We have it on the moon. I have videos of the moon that show that. I have videos of Mars that show that. I didn't just stop with the Earth. Ganymede, okay? If you go to the Internet and you pull these things up, you will see it. If you go to, um, uh, what's the ice plant? Europa, okay? I will show you on the Europa. And you could pull it up while you're talking to me. You yeah, go to Europa, yeah. you pull up Europa, and you watch that Europa thing, and your eyes will fall right out of your head because the pieces fit together. They're fit together so incredibly that you go, this, something's wrong. In yeah, fact, you, they fit together so much that NASA started to do it after I did it. Really? <laughs> yes, nice. and they tell people how you can do it. They're, yeah, you can do this. Guess what? And, you can, and so they, they screw around with, the, with Europa's surface. Still, they argue the, the arguments that they argue. If you go to Pluto, okay, you can see a spread on Pluto that's just a few, few hundred million years old, and it's a spread. How can that be? It's only a few hundred million years old. Pluto is the, that spread. They measured the spread. And spreads are always lower than the common surface. So they have a lot to explain with Pluto. And it's like, oh, geez, Pluto. I hope, hope that Neil Adams doesn't walk in the room because I can't <laughs> explain this one. This one, is that that's a spread. My God, that is a spread. And it can only be a couple of hundred million years old. How do we know? Because it doesn't have enough meteor hits. And that's one of the ways you can measure these things. And it's one of the things that's so good about factual science. You can know how, how, how the age of a surface of, a, of, let's say, Mars or the moon by how big the meteor hits are. Because over time, the meteor hits have gotten smaller oh, yeah, and, that's, that's smaller and smaller. Right? If, if you check out the My Moon video you, and you go around to the backside of the moon, all it has there is, yes, maybe many, many, many small meteor hits, but they're overpowered by the gigantically large meteor hits. You go back to the front side of the moon, and the front side of the moon has expanding surfaces. And you could say, well... Those expanding surfaces happened billions of years ago. No, they didn't, because all there are on them are little tiny meteor hits. And that means that they were done recently. That happened recently. That spreads that happened slowly over time as it came forward in time. So the moon is also growing, just like the Earth, just like the sun. Excuse me. They tell us the sun is growing. Well, it's not really growing. It's expanding. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Take that word out of your vocabulary, guys. You can't use <laughs> no. it. I'm sorry. It's growing and getting hotter. Excuse me. Well, it's, get, it's growing and getting hotter because different processes are going. Excuse me. Try not to hand bullshit to me because, you know, guess what? I read the books, okay? It's not getting hotter, and it's not getting hotter for that reason. It's getting hotter because it's growing because there's only one process that's going on in the sun, and it's converting hydrogen to helium, and that's it. Hydrogen to helium, and that's it. If no process has changed in the last billion years or two billion years or three billion years. There just happens to be more of it. And that's because the sun is growing. Because that sun, by the way, is throwing out 400 million tons of matter into its solar system per second. <clears throat> so how can it be getting bigger? <clears throat> and how come it's getting warmer and hotter? What's going on? And how come all the planets are moving outward? And how come the moon is moving outward from the Earth? Facts. We need facts. And guess what? There are a lot, not a lot of facts, but there are a solid bunch of facts. And those solid bunch of facts can't be uh, hindered or scrubbed by stupid theories. Because, because if, you, 
if you take a fact and you say, oh, here's a fact, the universe seems to be expanding, uh, so it must be expanding. No, 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 you can't just do that. I'm sorry. You can't just, oh, let's make this up. We'll say it's expanding. No, you can say it's growing because guess what? Growing looks just like expanding. Oh, my kid's getting bigger. He must be expanding. No, your kid isn't expanding. Your kid is growing. Your puppy is growing. It's not expanding. That cantaloupe, that coconut. <laughs> well, I'm, some of us growing. are expanding. <laughs> huh? Some of us are expanding. Yeah, I know. But that's a different kind of expanding. <laughs> that's not growing. <laughs> yeah. After you grow, you expand. Man, that's a good. So it's uh, a, you, you've done adding, some. Adding. You've Go done ahead. some really visual videos. I mean, it's it's hard to ignore some hear, of the stuff. Did you see Europa? Did I you saw look at yeah, the Europa thing? yeah, and 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 the other ones as well, where you've got them color coded or you know the ages color coded with, like you said, the the, that, mar the marks from meteors. And I mean, so what are the what are the? Uh, no way, that color coding comes from the the field of geology, not me. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't make what those. What is maps. the website URL for people who are listening? I want to look right now. NeilAdams.com is my website, but if you go to YouTube and just look up Neil Adams Science, yeah, um, yeah. that's the one to that's the one to go. Ignore the NeilAdams.com. Uh, that's yeah. just comic books. <clears throat> um, uh, no, go 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 to the uh, Neil Adams Science, and there's a, and you once you hit the one, you'll see that the, you say, oh, there's a listing of like 20 more videos, and yeah, so there's yeah. a, there's quite a few videos. I mean, I didn't I didn't do this to make somebody go, oh, that's isn't that interesting about the Earth? No, 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 no. It's about Mars. There's at least two videos on Mars. I talk about the Veils Marinaris. I was in correspondence with NASA about the Veils Marinaris. Veils Marinaris is that big crack right in the yeah, front. You know, yeah, it comes yeah, around. You see the big crack that's almost as wide as the United States. Yeah, that yeah. big crack is massive. That's a massive rift. And what they used to say, just like you know, back in the day when pseudo intellectuals would say, you know, there are canals on Mars. I can see canals there. The uh, the geologist said, you know what? There was oceans on Mars, and then the and then the oceans, you know, all dried up, and that and that that there, that's a giant like the Grand Canyon, that's a giant river, uh, you know, it ran through it, and that and that didn't. You guys are out of your mind. That thing is as wide as the United States of America, yeah. and it's the only one like that. There's there, kids in in fourth grade. In one school uh, in America had a teacher who was teaching geology, and she was having the kids study the surface of Mars by all the, with all these photographs. And they all wrote letters saying to NASA, okay, these are clearly tectonic spreads. Look at this ridge and how it spreads and does this. And they were all and with arrows, you know, and, and every kid in class <laughs> did this and sent them all to NASA. And NASA, oh, kids, what the hell do they know? <laughs> They're like, you know, oh, uh, uh, Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. So I write a letter to them when they announce, oh, Mars doesn't have. No, guys, it has to have a magnetic field. It's got a spinning ball of iron at its core. You may not like it, but it's there. Keep looking. And guess what? They kept looking, and sure enough, Mars has a magnetic field. It's a crappy magnetic field, but it's a magnetic field. And also, they have recently announced that, yes, the Veils Marinars is tectonic in nature is tectonic in nature. It is not a wash away like the Grand Canyon. It's insane. It's higher than all the rest of the land. How could you, there's no ice to melt, to flow down and make a river. There's no rivers. There's spreads on all the stuff that they're saying, then they take backwater. But you know what? They take backwater after they've been defending it for 15 years. There's standing water on Mars. 
there can't be standing water on Mars because the Mars doesn't have enough atmosphere for the sun not to evaporate any water there might be on Mars. And if you had a glass of water on Mars, within two minutes it would evaporate right in your hand because it, you can't have standing water on Mars. Oh, we're looking. No, don't look. Study the tectonics and compare it to Earth. And guess what? You learn something about Earth. That's what you should be doing instead of this, you know, BS about standing water. You're not going to find any standing water. Well, one day we thought, you know, we feel that Mars had standing water. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. It did. Well, well I, because we have these vast areas that are very smooth. Yes. And those are spread areas, guys. That's why you see the little tiny meteor hits. Well, well maybe the meteor, meteor hits are, we didn't have them there before because there was a water. There was water, just like on the Earth. You don't have meteor hits in the deep oceans. Oh, okay. Fine. Huh. Good. Nap, do you what have a question? What about the fact? What about the oh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, um, just hearing you talk about this, uh, I, I'm recalling in another interview where you had talked about going into the classroom of uh, one of your colleagues and announcing pretty much to the students that he was there to see them all fail because there is no, no the incentive. The, the, the teacher is there, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that pertains so much to what you're talking about, where there's no curiosity in science anymore. It's all backpedaling to get into that paradigm, to make everything fit, because we don't want to put in the legwork. We don't want to explore new, and which is well, really that, sad because I think that's why people... And a lot of that is true. The, the fact of the matter is, well, I don't like to say fact of the matter because it sounds like I'm making up facts, but by observation, you can see that, and, and I get this a lot. A lot of people argue with me and say, oh, you don't think that the science is, I say we're in the dark ages of science because we really yeah. haven't discovered anything new. And they say, well, then how would you have computers and how would you have all this and blah, blah, blah. And I say, no. What you're talking about is engineering. And technology, okay? yeah, that's I, not science. I, yeah. I do engineering in different areas. I do 3D uh, glasses, and I do stage sets, and I do things, and we explore the edges of, of what you can do. This is engineering. Engineering is taking the facts that you've learned and reapplying them to new things and recombining them and coming up with new ways of doing it. The computer just gets faster and faster and faster because of engineering. We're taking mm -hmm. the discoveries that we found and we're re-engineering them to make them better and make them better. We're not discovering anything new, okay? We're not discovering how the universe was made. We're not discovering why it's moving outward and why, how it possibly could be moving at light speed at its furthest distance because we know it can't, but somehow it is. We're, we're not explaining these things because we're not investigating these things because when you get to a certain point in certain of these questions, Unfortunately, it takes more than one specialty. You'll notice that when I've been speaking, I was talking about paleontology, I was talking about physics, I was talking about geology, and re in real terms. There were no words that I was using that you didn't understand, and you could always interrupt me and ask me if I did, and I would apologize if I did. But you have to include all of these things, because guess what? The clues to the bigger mysteries have to include all of science. They can't just be physics. Yeah. I mean, you have physics, physicists studying how matter is made. How is matter made? Well, excuse me, guys. You guys have theories because of your special... For example, you believe in quarks, okay? Yeah. You believe in quarks. You believe that somehow the universe is intelligent and creative. 
And not only did it create electrons and positrons and protons and neutrons, it created quarks. And, oh, by the way, it created three different kinds. Well, actually, it created six different kinds. Really? And what are they made of? Well, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, uh, uh, they don't exist by themselves in space. Once they're removed from the protons and the neutrons, they don't exist. Then how do you know what they are? How do you know that they're quarks at all? How do you know that they're not conglomerations of many more little particles that are particles you already know? Oh, well, we've decided that they're quarks. No, it's a theory. It's a theory. Do you think the universe goes out and says, oh, I'm, I'm missing something, I want to do something, so I'll invent quarks? No. In my view, okay, the universe is a Johnny OneNote. It, does, it did this one thing that gave us a universe. It did this thing, and now we have what we have. And it's amazing that it did, and it may have taken untold, untold billions and billions of years for it to happen, of course, we would never know that, but it did this one thing. That one thing is called pair production. <laughs> pair production works like this, okay? A high-energy photon, that's basically energy, seems to strike something invisible. We don't know what it is, okay? I think I know what it is, but we, science doesn't know what it is. And when it strikes it, okay, it splits it in half, and it takes half of its energy and attaches it to one half, and half of its energy and attaches it to the other half, and those two pieces become matter, an electron hmm. and a positron. It is the only process of matter creation in the universe. Oh. And because we have problems with it, theoretical problems, scientists don't study it. Right. Excuse me, let's put this sentence out there. It is the only form of matter creation in the universe. It has to contain the answer. <laughs> and if you think, Mr. Physicist, that it doesn't, then you keep screwing around the way you've been screwing around because all your theories don't work. Every single one of them don't work. Physics is like a sponge. It's more holes than it is sponge. You know what I mean? And physicists will tell you this. You have a conversation with a physicist, he'll tell you that's true. The sponge, it's more holes than it is actual sponge. And we're trying to fill the holes. And unless you can fill all the holes, and one of the things, uh, just to give you an example, one of the things we learn in art and also in physics, one of the things we learn in art is there's not a lot of colors, okay? There's red, yellow, and blue, okay? You take red, yellow, and blue, and you can lighten them, darken them, and mix them together and make all the millions of colors that are available, but you must start with red, yellow, and blue. There is no black, there is no white, it's red, yellow, and blue. And if you're a, a really good artist, you know this, and you know that it's as simple as that. And you can do the subtraction of that and make light. Add three different colors of light, and you make white light. White light is a spectrum and a a portion of that spectrum moves faster than another portion of that spectrum. The red portion or the red-yellow portion moves faster than the blue portion. And you can then see the different colors in light if you take that spectrum and spread it out and you get a rainbow. And that white light is the initial light. And it's only because this portion of that light moves slower and this portion moves faster 
that you don't put them together. But once you allow yourself to see those ends of that light spectrum, you can see all the colors within it. Okay, and that's where colors come from. They come from white light, just like color comes from three colors. Just like the universe comes from one thing that magically you take and, and adjust it and do something with it and prod it and do this and, or allow planets or whatever to do it, and you will get all the matter in the universe. You can't do it by expecting the universe to magically come up with some creative, oh, wake, wake up one morning and say, gee, I created a quark one day, uh, yesterday. I, I think I'll create another one today. It, it, it doesn't work like that. The universe is stupid. It, it's, it's uncreative and stupid. It just gave us this one thing. And that's what we are not taking our science down to and learning because I don't know if you know the history of science, but essentially we thought that stuff was made out of lots of different things. Then we discovered along the way that it was made out of three things, okay? It was made out of the electron, the proton, and the neutron, okay? Made out of three things. And every atom and everything you have, as you look around the room and you see the air, or you don't see the air, but you see the furniture and you see the gizmos and stuff, everything is made out of those three particles, okay? The next job that we're supposed to do is reduce those to two, and then we reduce them to one, and then we reduce them to nothing. Because essentially that's how the universe started. We're not doing that anymore. We're screwing around. Oh, I found another particle. I found a quark. Oh, guess what? I found this. And they're off, you know, playing games with that. Because, I don't know, man likes to play, likes to solve puzzles and whatever it is. But when you get right down to it, you have to find the process that will make matter. And if you find that process and then you look for the various things that it needs to do that it needs one it needs pair production to get pair production you need tons of energy okay then you need to be able to separate the electron and the positron in some kind of electromagnetic field so they don't collide with each other because the positron will then go on and become a proton but not if there's electrons around so they have to separate and then you can discover that there is a place where that can happen and that can happen in the outer core of the Earth because, as it turns out, the electromagnetic field that goes around the Earth also goes in at the poles into the Earth. And the inner electromagnetic field, like that core area of a magnet that you know the, that the field goes through in a magnet, exists inside of the Earth. And that outer core of the Earth, and you can look it up in a book, carries the electromagnetic field of the Earth. Scientists say that that's an iron core. I don't believe outer core. I don't believe a molten iron outer core. I don't believe that. I think it's plasma. I think it's a dense superheated plasma because it goes up to 6,000 to 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's pretty hot for even iron. That would vaporize iron. <laughs> so it's probably a plasma. If it's a plasma, then it's the plasma is down there, and the electromagnetic field of the Earth is going through that, and that and energy at the core, will make pair production. The pair production will make electrons and positrons, and you take those and use them as building blocks for matter, and you get matter added to the Earth, and the Earth grows, and the moon grows, and the sun grows, and the sun continues to grow until it becomes a nova and then explodes and seeds the universe with more matter, and the process just keeps on continuing. 
And that's how the universe works. And, and you know, who the who the hell needs some damn comic book artist discovering nah. this crap? <laughs> really? So it really goes down to magnetism and uh I like that that pair production yeah. thing. Well, pair production is pair production that was discovered. And the thing about pair production is that it's been put aside by science because it has deficiencies or seems to have deficiencies that when you examine it are not deficiencies. But if you if you accept those deficiencies, allow them to defeat you, and say, well. You know, what happens is uh, 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 we get an electron and a positron, and the positron seeks out an electron, and they annihilate each other. So what good is that? We still are left with the same amount of stuff. So we give up. Excuse me. You just gave up on the only kind of matter creation in the universe. You just gave it up because you saw something happen that you couldn't exactly explain, and you gave it up. But what happens if you put those two pairs each each one of those pairs in electromagnetic field in fact that's what they're doing in colliders right now they're putting pairs they have pair production they're putting pairs in a collider and they're keeping the positron from joining with the electron and so they can gather up positrons oh really it's taken from 1932 when we first observed this till now for you guys to be doing that yes because we didn't have colliders yes but you had no imaginations <laughs> guess what it can be done. It can be done in the Van Allen belt above the Earth. It can be done inside of the Earth, inside the moon, and inside any planetary body. Guess what? You guys have let the, the sheep out of the yard, and you're just not paying attention, okay, to facts, to facts. When can Why we harness that? Comic, huh? When, well, when, can we, when are we going to be able to harness that? Like, so how close he, are we? Let me, uh, let, me go, let me take you further. You want to be taken further? Wait, I want to go. I'd oh, like yeah. to actually take a quick step back and, okay. and cycle how that pair production works again. And like, so sure. if the sun's the generator, is range a factor? Range in what sense? Like uh, Mercury to Pluto or? No, there's no the factor. Pair production happens. You're sitting in a room right now. Okay. Pair production happened two feet from your eyes. No, it happened over there. It happened over there. You get a high-energy photon coming from outer space down through the atmosphere, and it's happening in your room. Right now in your room, pair production is happening. Bam, it happened. It happened there, happened there. It happened 337 times in the last two minutes right in your room. Right in your room, it's happening. When lightning strikes, tremendous amount of pair production happens because of that energy. The more energy it, that exists in a given area, the more pair production happens. So at the core of the Earth, you can imagine how much you know, energy is happening and how much pair production you get. There is an awful lot of then what they call annihilation or removal of electrons with positrons if they can't separate from one another. But if they can and they're kept apart, then what happens is that the, all right, I have to go, I have to take back step now. How does pair production happen? Okay. Pair production happens, remember I said at the beginning that a, a high energy photon Yep. strikes something invisible. I'm going yeah, to tell yeah. you what that is. I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. And and you can you can back tech it with me because I'm going to tell you what comes out. What comes out is an electron and a positron. An electron, okay, is half that energy plus a negative, a one-half of a negative electromagnetic field. It's one-half of a magnetic field that is negative. The positron, okay, is 
the other half of that energy plus one half of an electromagnetic field that is positive. Okay? So, if I were to ask you, what did that high-energy photon that has no magnetic field strike? What did it strike? It struck a full magnetic field. Hmm. Probably in phase. something like that. That's right. <laughs> right. Because I set you up and you couldn't believe that you were going to be able to say <laughs> exactly, that. It exactly. seems so obvious. It seems so See, obvious. So you're explaining it to the, the dummies. And see, it works. I prefer Lee. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. No. And, that's that, and that's generated from English. the core. That's generated from the core of the Earth. Then it's generated anywhere you have energy. Yeah. But understand this. Understand this. The impression you have, okay, is that the universe is made of nothing, a void. Yet you've recently learned about uh, dark energy and dark matter, and that there's more dark matter in the universe than there is matter by ten times, maybe a hundred times. Maybe a thousand times, maybe a million times. You don't know how much. They speculate, and you have to listen to the guys in the white coat speculate. And they say 9.8 times, and you go, the hell with you. What do you know? You have no idea what this stuff is. It could be a billion times. doesn't matter. I'll say this. The universe is like the ocean to a fish. Okay. To a fish, the ocean is what you're in. You don't know it. You weigh exactly what the water weighs. In other words, any fish that's in the water weighs exactly the same amount as that amount of water, or else he would sink if he were more, or he would rise to the top if he were less. So he has a different arrangement of those atoms and molecules, but it's the same amount, the same weight. You take that same amount of, you know, sculpt it like a fish and melt it and weigh it, the same amount as the fish. Hmm. The fish doesn't know it's there. It does what it does, but it doesn't know it's there. It is in an ocean, but it doesn't know it. From its point of view, it's in the air. From its point of view, it's in nothing. From our point of view, okay, we're in nothing, but we're not. We're in a universe of electromagnetic particles that are in-facing, okay? What is the advantage of them being in-facing? Well, does anybody have a piece of paper there? Yep. Got a piece of paper? Okay. Draw a circle. And in the circle, in the middle of the circle, put a dot. Okay. That dot. Looks like a booby. <laughs> booby. That's right. Looks like a booby. Uh, that dot is the positron. The circle is the electrons spread out around it. You know, they tell you when you study uh, electrons that you can't spot where they are because they seem to be smeared all over the atom, blah, 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 and you can't spot where they actually are. You can only spot them in a relative sense because they can spread, okay? So it's like a ball. It's like a round uh, uh, ball, and it goes around. And the, and the portion of the magnetic field that's the, that's the positive is in the center. Let's just say... The universe was spinning, okay? We don't know what the universe was. We don't have no idea, so none of this means anything, but it was spinning, and it, it, it went outward and became less than nothing, less than nothing, all in, only in these little tiny balls, okay? Pull, being pulled outward by the universe spinning, okay? So you have these little tiny balls, and at the core, core of those balls, you have a point particle, which is not rea in reality anything but a point in space, Okay? 
that is trying to pull that bubble back because it's it's made it less than nothing. Okay, so it's trying to pull it back in and it can't do it. Okay, so they stay just the way they are, a ball, and you have this point particle in the center. The electromagnetic field that is generated going from the ball to the inside to the core, in and out, in and out, in and out, is an in-facing field. That is, it doesn't escape the ball, except to the very, very slightest degree, and that's how we get dark matter. We, uh, we can identify, uh, identify dark matter. So that ball doesn't allow its field to go outward. So what you do is you hit, take a high-energy photon, you hit that directly at the, at the middle, Okay, it penetrates the ball and kicks the core particle out. Half the energy joins that core particle, half the energy joins the ball, and now you have a positron and electron, and the field, because that core particle has been driven out, now spreads outward, outward, mm-hmm. away from it, because it's trying to, the two pieces are trying to find each other, okay? Now, somebody says to you, okay, You've read enough uh, stuff in your in your books of, to know what an atom is. An atom is a little tiny, tiny, tiny thing, okay, like a bee in Yankee Stadium, okay, and its electromagnetic field is Yankee Stadium. It is the little tiny bee or baseball that's flying around, and its field is Yankee Stadium, okay? That's uh, an electron or any particle of matter, okay? It's the field, which is gigantic, and the little tiny particle at the core, right? That's how you measure it. These, before they get knocked out and become that, which that's how we identify matter, by the way. You identify matter by these little tiny particles and the gigantic field that's around them. So when you put your hand on the table, you're not actually putting the particles on the table. The fields that go around the particles that are the atoms are meeting the fields that are on your table. And you think, okay, that your hand is touching the table, but it's not. The fields around the atoms are interacting with the fields on the table. And the table is mostly empty space? Mostly empty space, just like your hand is. There's a little particles on the inside who will never get together because if they do, they'll explode. You don't want that to happen. Not good. So everything is the empty space around. Just like when you look at the atoms joined together in crystals, you see that there's a little tiny thing and then there's a field around it. So the atoms, which is matter, okay, is personified by tiny, tiny particles of essentially nothing and gigantic fields around them that make them join, that allow them to join together in structures called atoms and um, um, uh, and, and uh, molecules. Uh, when, molecules. Thank you. Okay, atoms and molecules. Okay, they all kind of join together in a structure. Some some are are cube-like, like like iron is cube-like, uh, and some are octagonal. There's different structures uh, to our to these particles, but it's the structure of the fields joining together, not the little particles. Yeah. Particles create the fields, but it's not the little particles. So if you could take those fields and, and take the, the negative particle, or the positive particle, and put it inside the negative particle, those two particles would then have an in-facing field that would never come out, okay? On the other hand, because all we can identify as matter is out-facing fields, 
We could never identify these things if they have no field facing outward. They could fill the universe denser than steel, denser than steel, and we couldn't feel them or know them. In fact, all we could do is slow light down to 186,000 miles a second with it. And that's what slows light down. So theoretically, if you could move this shit out of the way, you could go faster than light. Sure. But you don't have theories. I don't like theories. But, you know, it's logical. Is this the same sort of premise that an atomic bomb would work on? No, it's the opposite. It's really the opposite. It's uh, basically you have the particles uh, getting through the fields and hitting each other and shattering each other is what makes the atomic bomb. But, but is, so is it the shattering of each other that allows that energy that the well the release the release of the energy in an atom? That's why I say you don't really want your your hand to actually touch the table because those those uh, uh, atoms, the electron, uh, the uh, protons and the neutrons. If they were to hit each other, they would probably shatter, and of course they would go flying off, and then you'd get a chain reaction, and you and the next uh, four miles around you would be gone. Actually, the igloo may contain the blast. (laughs) (laughs) So, so so Neil, what about uh, these bigger planets? So you're looking at all you've got some great videos on, like showing these planets grow and shrink into each other. I just have the ones. I just have the ones that you can see the surface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what about what about? Can, uh, so, do the, do they actually? Do you think if we were to speculate a little bit, then do they actually become bigger and bigger and become gas giants? Like, is that where the gas giants are sure, sort of bigger? Sure. Like they well, used to be okay, smaller, uh, or I, I can explain it in simple, simple scientific terms. A gas giant. Okay, as a planet gets bigger, well, uh, let's uh, we'll take the moon. Uh, I'll give you a few facts along the way. Take the moon. You say the one could say the moon doesn't have any atmosphere. Well, the moon actually does have an atmosphere. It's made of some random gases, and it has an atmosphere. And once every two weeks or so, the solar wind blows the atmosphere off the moon because it's so tenuous. Okay, and I'm telling you what NASA has discovered. You can look it up. I'm not. I'm just reciting facts to you. Okay. Uh, the solar wind will blow the atmosphere off the moon. Within a week or two, that atmosphere reappears. Where does it come from? Well, NASA's not going to tell you that it comes from inside the moon, right? I'm going to tell you that. They just go, oh, it reappears. <laughs> I don't know, circles back? I don't think so. So it, gets, it blows off the moon. Now, the reason that that atmosphere is so tenuous is because the moon is so small, and it has such a poor gravity. Now, Earth has a much greater gravity, and so it holds on to more and more gases. In other words, the as the it holds on to more and more lighter gases. So oxygen would blow off the moon, but oxygen stays on the Earth. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen would blow, uh, would blow off the moon, but it also blows off the Earth, but slower, and it attaches itself to so many things when it does, but it'll still blow off the Earth. And by the way, tons and tons of our atmosphere are blown off by the solar wind off the Earth, and you can look that up too. So the question is, how do we get a, a reinvented or recreated atmosphere? Gee, I guess we must do it from inside the earth, but you don't want to say that. But it does blow off, okay? I'm just saying, you know, you can't. Anyway, so the solar wind blows the atmosphere very slowly off the earth. Uh, off Mars, it blows it off very fast. But it doesn't blow it off Jupiter because the gravity of Jupiter is so powerful that it'll take even hydrogen, okay, and hold on to it. And so, and so since the gases are 
first of all, they have lots of space around them, the atoms of the gases. And there's so many more of the gas, so much more of gases, especially hydrogen. Then as your gravity becomes greater, you're going to hold on to more and more of your gases. So as you get bigger, this, this implies that you're even considering a growing planet, okay? Then as you grow, you're maintaining, you're holding on to more and more gases, and so you get a gas giant. <laughs> that gas giant will grow and grow and grow and at some point ignite and become a sun. And that sun will take its, will take its moons like Jupiter will, and, be, and those will become its planets. Wow. That's interesting. Because it will push them out in the process and made its own little solar system. Sure. And that's, in fact, what our sun did. That makes sense. In other words, there are, science, there, there are scientists who will say that our sun uh, went around another sun, and 4.5 billion years ago it ignited and became our sun. But before that, it was rotating around another sun. Excuse me. If science is smart enough to get that, <laughs> and they'll tell you, you can look it up. They're smart enough to get that. Why can't they extend, use the extension of their brain to say, well, maybe this is just the way the universe works, guys? Huh. We're already saying that our sun was a planet around another sun. Hello. And we're not, watching not. islands getting formed in the Pacific and stuff like that. Like, we're willing to admit the Canary Islands and the Hawaiian Islands were all, you know, weren't there. It's basically, okay. we're just saying the same things constantly happening underneath the ocean. Of course. Of course. It's a process. So you think say, it started say, 180 million years ago and nothing no, happened before start. that? Or it's no, always no, happening? Not at all. Yeah, it's, it's always, always happening. happening. No, it's, a pro it's, it's not an event. It's a process. Hmm. And it's an ongoing process that's been going on since the first pair production happened in our universe. So and it made, what, you know, people say 14.5 billion years ago, excuse me. We don't even know where the edge of our yeah. universe is. And you're saying, for I'm sorry, you guys are idiots. You're predicting stuff and you have a theory that, and guess what? Before anybody proves you're wrong, you'll be dead. <laughs> so yeah, you can put that gold star in your notebook as if it meant something, but it doesn't mean anything. It's a stupid theory. It's, and there's so much of this. It's everywhere. Wherever you go, it's one theory after another. You can't sweep these aside. They're like roaches. <laughs> so <laughs> really so are we talking basically the solar system would still form with the conventional sort of gravitational forces slowly collecting the pieces together and then at one point oh, it gets big not. enough absolutely not if for, the first solar systems were were a sun okay <sighs> here okay well, you're going to go over some of this with me suns don't make atoms suns okay are collections of hydrogen, especially early suns. Now, when Jupiter becomes a, a sun, it's going to have planets around it, so that's pretty much a pre-made uh, solar system. Okay, But we're talking about the first solar systems. Well, the first solar systems, you have pair production. At a certain time in pair production, even when the pairs are becoming what they call annihilated, which they're not annihilated because that's no such process, in, in the lexicon of physics, you can't annihilate anything. You can neither create or destroy anything. Why they use it as a word, I have no idea. But in that process, just before they join, rejoin, they orbit each other for a nanosecond and become a thing called, a po called positronium, 
which is a form of hydrogen. Okay? So essentially, these pairs, okay, the, the positron, and I haven't been over this positron, what the positron does, because I've really just got to the point of filling the universe with electromagnetic fields, and the most interesting part is what happens next, but okay. You get hydrogen. Why do you get hydrogen? Because hydrogen is the, is the simplest atom, and it doesn't have any neutrons. It only has electrons and protons. So there's no neutrons. So you have a universe making hydrogen, and it can only make hydrogen. Okay? It can only make hydrogen. Nothing else. Dead end. Dead end. Okay? But this universe manages to, manages, manages to gather these, this hydrogen into, together into a galaxy of this stuff, spinning stuff, okay? How, please don't ask me, I'm not God, okay? I'm just saying, I'm not God. And it's a hydrogen so it's got, that we can split. Now you, get, now you get hydrogen and spin it around and it compresses together and gathers more hydrogen, gathers more hydrogen and more hydrogen and more hydrogen. And all it can do is gather hydrogen and it can start to create a process that creates neutrons okay and it creates neutrons and those and within the neutrons then you have the possibility of creating helium okay if you create helium what happens is you don't need a couple of those electrons so they get thrown off and they burn and now your sun has lit up okay the process of making helium out of hydrogen You've lit the sun up. Now it was just hydrogen. Now it lit up. Poof. Okay. But now you have hydrogen and now you have a percentage of helium. Another dead end. Dead end. No more. No more atoms. Can't do them. Can't do them on the sun. So what do you do? Okay. The sun will throw material out into its solar system, which is electromagnetic in nature. And by the way... Planets are electromagnetic spaces between each planet going out progressively wider because they're riding electromagnetic lines. And the whole universe is based on interconnecting electromagnetic fields. And that's why it's growing, because it's pushing its way out, just like the cells around your body are pushing their way out. And they don't compress on each other because the fields are really what the sun's and the uh, solar, solar systems and the galaxies are not the things that you see with your eyes. It's the fields. Remember we talked about the football yeah, yeah, field? Yeah, I like that better. So basically the, it's the fields the, that would decide where Earth is in the solar system yeah, as opposed right. to the luck of the draw and gravity. Now that, that field rides an electromagnetic line of the sun around the sun. And, and it's getting the pushed sun back. Grows and, and as the sun grows and the planets grow, the field lines move outward, so they move outward in a logical, progressive way. According to the field lines, they ride the field lines. That's why they're progressive distances out from the sun. And that's why even scientists who don't necessarily tell you they believe this will tell you that the asteroid belt should have been a planet. And Uranus has got, is not on its own field line. Excuse me? You don't believe in field lines, but you're saying Uranus isn't on its line. Hello? Okay, it's just... Okay, so... So where does the moon come into all this? It's a, it's a, it's a gathered-up asteroid. It's just a... Okay, let me tell you. Let me tell you how it works, okay? 
the sun fires this material out into space, not space, into its field, its field. It fires it out. 400 million tons a second, okay, out into its field. Now, early on, it didn't fire 400 million tons, maybe 300 million, 200, yeah. 100, half, whatever, you know, less, okay, out into its solar system. But when it does this, it strips the helium atom and the hydrogen atom of its electron, okay, making them just nuclei. The electron goes its separate way, and so you have these streams of nuclei going out. The thing about nuclei is that they don't have the protection of the electron to stop them from joining, you see. So it's a lot easier for them if they're riding a negative electromagnetic line to actually be forced together to join because there's no electron going around them to keep them apart. So what happens out in the electromagnetic field that's out going around the sun is they join together into higher count nuclei. And when they fall off that line, they gather up electrons and become that atom. And now you have atoms floating around your solar system that join up into crystals, into bigger crystals, very, very tiny meteorites, calandrites, iron crystals into meteorites, and eventually those meteorites, through accretion, will join together into clumps, and eventually, if they find an electromagnetic line, will go on it. If they don't, they'll find a growing planetoid and crash onto it. But they will feed the planets, or they will feed those lines, and they, out in space, around the sun, will build, okay, they will build their own meteorites, asteroids, and planets. <laughs> now, if you go to a second generation sun, okay, that already has this, and our sun is a second generation sun, then it's already started with moons going around it. So it doesn't need to do this. Now it just needs to help them grow. So this sun is feeding them by feeding, by making more asteroids and crashing them on the Earth and crashing them on the planets, and everything is growing. So it's a progressive process that in the, in the beginning just goes from hydrogen. <coughs> the hydrogen makes atoms, okay, be, by stripping the electrons off and driving the, uh, neutron, the um, nuclei out into space, which join up and create at different distances out from the sun different um, atoms because why because the field is stronger and can maintain the atoms the further you go out so you get uh, er, um, in closer you get heavier atoms out further you get lighter atoms like you know hydrogen and stuff uh, so you get heavier rocks and silicate on the, and the closer inside the lighter stuff on the outside and then the bigger and, uh, these things get the stronger their fields get so the quicker they can do pair production and start to grow into real planets? Well, yeah. In other, in other words, no meteorite is going to have pair production at the core of it because there's no energy going on. So it will just accrete um, atoms. But those atoms, by the way, will also penetrate the shield and go through the uh, crystal lattices down into the core and empty a space in the core so that eventually when this thing gets big enough and heats up, it'll have an empty core so that it can create new uh, energy. 
And once that heats up, then you're going to get a, like something like the moon. Enceladus or these various moons that are starting to heat up. There's a moon out there that's spewing water on a constant basis uh, out into space because really that's all it can make. It doesn't make some of the heavier stuff. How, how, so do, the, how do the gravity waves that were just discovered from that black hole fit into this? I would, I would have to say, okay, based on what I've found so far, there's no such thing as gravity. Gravity is part of the electromagnetic field. Gravity is like um, an extension of electromagnetic magnetic energy. If you think that, uh, that uh, atoms are made of quarks from quark land, I don't know where they're made. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. I will, then I will tell you what they're logically made of. Okay, and I'm gonna, I didn't explain this before, but I'll explain it now. Once you separate the electron from the positron, and once you put the electron and positron into a magnetic field where they can be kept apart for a period of time, okay, like in the plasma outer core of the Earth where the electromagnetic field flows through it, and so they have very much like what exists above the Earth in the Van Allen belt where you have positive particles traveling in one part of the belt and negative particles traveling in another part of the belt. You can look that up later. You have the same thing on the inside of the Earth, okay? So positrons are traveling separate from electrons. God forbid they get together and they have pair production, release their energy, but if they stay apart, the positron will attract these, what I call, what, I now, what I'm now revealing to you as prime matter particles or these in-facing fields. Remember I described these mm -hmm. in-facing fields to you earlier? And I said that the electron was on the outside as a ball, and at the core was a point particle called a positron, which is the positive particle, okay, the positive side. And then they were broken apart by this energy, and you have a positron, and then you have an electron. Well, if the electron was going to build a shell around itself, okay, of one of these pairs, the electron wanted to build a shell around itself, it had nothing to build from because... Every prime matter particle that fills the universe, dense as steel, including inside a planet and everywhere else, because they're like uh, buckshot in the middle of bowling balls, you know, that, that fit into in between everything, okay? The electron is not going to attract the prime matter particle because it's got an electron on the outside. But the positron, being positive, will attract the negative outer, out, outer portion of the prime matter particle and pull it toward it until the, until the positron feels the energy of the positron on the inside, and then it will stop, because that, then it will start to build a structure. It builds a structure around itself, a cube around itself of five layers, okay? Five layers. Five layers gives you 10 by 10 by 10. If anybody knows, knows anything about simple math or arithmetic, 10 by 10 by 10 is 1,000. I saw okay. your video on this. It's very good. Uh, all right. So what happens is that because the field of that positron can only go so far, it can't go to the corners of the cube. So the corners slough off because, first of all, geometrically, they, they're not held by three other balls or three other... Uh, fields and because the field is not getting out to the corners okay at some point it has to end so they're sloughed off so you lose 10 corner particles okay and you're left with uh, 990 
That's uh, 10 corner particles from eight corners. You're left with 990. Okay. If you multi, if you now given that, it's really not 990, excuse me, 990 because one of the core particles is a positron. Okay, so it's 919, okay? Each one of those, it, be, being a prime matter particle or being an in-facing field, has one proton, uh, one positron, and one electron. So there's two particles to each. So you double that number. That's 919 doubled. Can somebody do that? 1,838. Okay. That is the exact weight of a proton. And that's how you get protons. <laughs> there are no, and that's also how you get a neutron. You just add one more electron. That means that every particle or part or portion of a, of a proton and every part or particle or portion of a neutron which we are told is neutral, is made of one negative and one positive particle. There is no neutral particle. Nothing is neutral. And that's why we have gravity. Because we have negative pulling on positive from every atom in the universe. Pulling on and repelling. So you have gravity and then you have anti-gravity. Unfortunately, or fortunately, you have anti-gravity at the edges of solar systems and at the edge of, edges of galaxies, then that's what keeps them from crashing into one another and keeps them apart. <laughs> so we're, we're now advancing into a much higher level of physics here. And I apologize. For no, that. no, no. That's, I wanted to know what you thought about the gravity waves. I mean, we're, we talk about that a little bit here, Darren and I, and the show about, about gravity and whether it exists or not. And well, I've it's always it's said I'd lead towards, more towards magnetism. Yeah. Going back, going back to the original premise that the universe is simple and it gives us one miracle. One, you can call it a miracle, you can call it anything, one event, okay, pair production. If it gives us pair production and if the pairs are what I described, and they, they sort of have to be because when you take them apart, they're positrons and electrons. I'm not making that up. I mean, that's what pair, it was discovered, first observed in 1932. So if that's what it is, and one of them is negative, is negative electromagnetically, and one of them is positive, then you already have a force, okay, that's operating with the most basic, simple, primitive particles that are a part of the only form of matter creation in the universe, and there it is, negative and positive, okay? That's your force. You don't get an extra force. There's <laughs> no extra. You know, there's no bonus forces. Who dealt this game? I mean, it, the universe doesn't do that. It's not, like I said, it's stupid. The universe is stupid. The universe can't do that. They, they can, they can, it's, it, it's a simple process, and there's no other process. You know, we, since 1932, we've looked, you know, we've got engineers looking at everything and, and scientists and physicists looking. There is no other matter creation uh, event. There is none. It doesn't exist. I don't know what it takes for people to learn simple lessons like this, because it, once you get down to the simple lessons, you get rid of all the theories. It sits there and throbs and glows, and you kind of go, "I can't avoid this baby," mm -hmm. you know, because it, there it is. Okay, why am I making up other stuff that doesn't exist? And can't, why can't I find it in here? Well, it took me thirty years to come to that conclusion, so I guess it's not that damn easy to do. Um, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna I ask had, you about that because you, you. I took. 
It took, I, I had to eliminate everything. I had to eliminate everything. I had to go simplify uh, physics, get rid of theory, and just go to eliminating and eliminating. Like Sherlock Holmes said, what does Sherlock Holmes say? When you eliminate everything, uh, if all the possibilities except one, no matter how illogical it may seem, that's got to be it. So over 10 years, I could, a lot of these videos you made were, were 10 years old now. Is your... Has your opinion on this changed at all? Has your has your oh, it's just theory... become greater? Yeah, it's just, it's really just become greater because all the new things that are that are discovered in science support it. I mean, every new thing that comes along is supporting it. There's nothing that's you know. I keep uh, okay, you know, just to get this uh, you know this uh, this off my back. Um, maybe somebody can come along with something that'll disprove it, and I go, oh, goof, finally, you know, I can I can get away from this. No, everything that comes along proves it more and more. It's just, it's I can't escape the damn thing. It's uh, it's uh, more and more and more and more. I can't name something and it's uh, and it's there. I mean, uh, there's one. I'll give you an example. Um, science tells us they uh, they discover uh, that uh, the continental plate, okay, which is all the continents and islands and all the rest of that, the sea level. 180 million years ago was 800 feet deeper than it is today. It varied from 600 to 800 feet deeper. So that means that, uh, and maybe even deeper, so they don't really know for sure. It's, you know, guesstimates. Um, now that means that, uh, that over most of our, our land, okay, we have, we had water where you are now. Nine chances out of 10 was water. 200, 300, 400 feet deep. Okay. We'd be okay. Me too. Me too. Me too. Okay. I'm in New York. We're like right on water level. Um, and so this, all this stuff was underwater. Well, let's just say you take Pangea and you assemble it. Okay. Two thirds of the continental plate was covered by shallow seas. Two thirds, just like the earth today, two thirds of the earth is covered with oceans. Okay, two-thirds of the shallow seas was covered, uh, two-thirds of the continental plate, all the continents put together, were shallow seas, okay? That means that they kind of look like the Philippine, you put them all together, they still look like the Philippine Islands <laughs> because you got all this water in between. Now, geologists tell you, okay, that we've had mountains on Earth for billions of years, okay? A uh, hundred years ago, or uh, sixty or, or seventy years ago, most geologists were reluctant to say that we had mountains on Earth all that time because dinosaurs couldn't cross mountains. <laughs> you, you put a mountain up, you can't cross it. If you try to imagine dinosaurs crossing the Rockies, you, you can't do it. They'd be, they die. So uh, that now geologists say, no, we had mountains for billions of years on Earth. Well... The mountains that we have on Earth today are no older than 60 million years old. After the dinosaurs died, we started, mountains started to rise up. So geologists say, well, because we find uh, certain things under the land, you know, like the slanted land, then what must have happened is that the wind and the rain washed them away. Really? Mountains? <laughs> Really? The wind and the rain washed the mountains away, and now we just have new mountains? Is that the deal? Yeah, so we, that's our theory. 
<laughs> what, you can't show me one really old mountain? Well, no, they were washed away. They were washed away. I go to the continental edge, and I see the continental edge made of granitic rock, and nothing's washing it away. It's still there. In fact, when I go to the Appalachian Mountains, which are not very high mountains, I note that sediments cover the bottom two-thirds of mountains, sediments and trees and bushes, and they cover them and protect them from washing away so they don't wash away. Now, today, but you're telling me that all those mountains got washed away. No, mountains didn't grow, start to grow up until 60 million years ago. But let's pretend that there were mountain ranges all over the earth, okay, all over the continental plate. So now we have mountain ranges in Pangaea, in various places, and we have shallow seas covering two-thirds of Pangaea, okay? And now you're telling me that the dinosaurs migrated to all seven continents, and that's why you prove that uh, Pangaea existed. How did they do that? They went over mountains and across these seas? No. It, it, it doesn't make you practically destroyed your own theory. You've just turned it into junk. It's the Philippine Islands that are mountains. It's like how do you how how do the dinosaurs didn't swim? Did you know that they don't swim? <laughs> I'll tell you an even worse one. Here's an even worse one. And, the, and, and again, this is assembling facts. Okay, that they tell us. They just tell us this, these facts in this room and these facts in this room, and they never want the two rooms to come together because they contradict one another. There are no fish fossils in any deep ocean on Earth that are older than 70 million years old. Scientists, paleontologists, and geologists will tell us that uh, we had deep oceans for billions of years. Okay? <laughs> We have, had, we have had fish fossils for over 400 million years. And yet in the deep oceans, there are no fish fossils older than 70 million years old. Wow. Now, why would that be? How would that be? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Because if you had a Pangaea and you had shallow seas and then around the shallow seas or around the continental plate, you would have oceans the shallow seas would be contiguous with the oceans. In other words, here's a shallow sea right on the edge of the continental plate, and here's the ocean, so it's contiguous. Whatever lives in the shallow seas lives in the ocean, right? Of course. Right. <laughs> that's the, has to be. Oh, I swam over here. Ooh, I don't like that. I'm moving back here. No, that, they would. the same evolutionary process that would take place in the shallow seas and we have billions of fish fossils on the continental plate. Billions upon billions going back all the ages on the sides of mountains. You can go to Utah and stick your, your, your shovel into the ground and pull up fish fossils. You can have teeth from megalodons that you can find in, uh, in Utah. You can go to Italy. You can go to the Gobi Desert. You can go to all these different places around the earth and find fish fossils, except in the deep oceans. Not there. No deep ocean on Earth has a fish fossil older than 70 million years old. In fact, it was a big mystery in geology. What the hell is going on, guys? We didn't, I don't get, what, we couldn't even find land down there. I mean, th there's no 
deep ocean that's older than 180 million years old. There must be fish fossils in the 180 million year old section, right? Up to 180, 170, 160, 150, 140, 130, 120, 110, 90, 80, 70. Oh, suddenly fish fossils show up. The fish fossils show up. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. We have a thing called uh, salt domes. Do you guys know what salt domes are? Uh, you no, know. I don't. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Under the earth, okay, down about where you find oil, you find big, gigantic chunks of salt, okay, that are commonly two inches, two, excuse me, two miles deep, two or three miles wide, eight to ten miles long. So two miles now, thick, is that what you mean? <laughs> Uh, yeah, two miles yeah. thick, top to bottom. Two miles. You know, not crazy. Not fifteen feet. You know, two miles. Now, scientists will say these salt domes happen when certain areas of the ocean evaporate over time, over time after time, and they leave the salt behind. Excuse me, guys. Two miles. <laughs> I'm sorry. Two miles deep, three miles wide. If you measure anyone you want, there is no body of, of water that is like that. That's going to evaporate time. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Study the geology of the earth. All these different things happen in different places. This land has water. This land doesn't. It's all different. Study your own geology. This is the dumbest thing on earth. Okay, where do these salt domes come from? Well, if matter is created inside of the earth, and comes up through the mantle in plumes, what they call plumes nowadays, plumes, finding their own level, finding their own level because they differentiate. You know, like when you were in chemical class and you put oil on water and the, and the oil stayed on the top, you shake these things up and the lighter stuff goes to the top and the heavier stuff goes to the bottom. It's called differentiation, okay? Differentiation puts the lighter stuff at the top. So your lighter gases, your gases are going to rise to the top, whereas your heavier materials are going to stay below, they're going to stay down. And they still may rise up if they're superheated because, uh, because they can come up in the form of atoms. For example, uh, 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 iron can be a gas if it's just a single atom, but it still has to seek its own level because it has so, it's so heavy. So you have uh, sulfur and chlorine, two gases. Okay, they're kind of heavy compared to say oxygen and hydrogen and uh, nitrogen and all those. So they don't, they come up from inside of the earth, okay, and they seek their own level. As it turns out, their level is around the level of oil under the earth, okay? They're floating around because they're single atoms, they've just been superheated after coming out, they haven't cooled off yet. And they're seeking, you know, they're kind of floating around under the earth. They, they tell you this, gases float around under the earth, you know, radon and various things. They float around. And if they find each other, the chlorine and the sulfur, they join into a salt particle. <clears throat> and they keep on floating around. And then if they find a salt dome, as all crystals do, and if you ever watch any film on crystals, what happens is that they have like little notches where they join and they go not into each other. So what's happening is that these two gases are joining in crystals under the earth. 
And this salt dome, like a geode, is growing under the earth, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay. Now, in, in the granitic uh, crust of the earth, that, was, that is the continental plate, no deep oceans. Okay, no deep oceans, just the continental plate. And it's got granitic rock, and then it's got uh, sediments, and it's got other stuff. You're not going to get down to the oil, and you're not going to get down to the salt domes. So all the water that covers two-thirds of the continental plate is going to be fresh water. Okay, fresh water. So the domes burst. Why should it be salty? Until the cracks start to appear. And the continental plates spread apart. You know that in the Gulf of Mexico, there the Gulf has broken into at least 200 salt domes that lie along the edge of the Gulf of Mexico. 200 salt domes. And so these salt domes salinate the, the new growing oceans, new spreading oceans. How hard is it going to be for fish living in fresh water at only 600 or 800 feet depth? to now live in the deep oceans that are totally salinated. They're all going to die. And it's going to take uh, 100 million years to evolve to live there. Hmm. And that's why there are no fish fossils in the deep oceans until 70 million years ago. And I didn't make that up. That's just a fact. Hmm. Are there salt domes? Yes, there are. Examine them. Look them up. It's shocking. And then what they say they are, and try to describe them, it's like, oh, really? You know, there's some things that scientists say, you just kind of shake your head. Guys, really? So that would kind of be, that would kind of, does that uh, pave the way for oil to be natural too? Could that just be the same sort of process? And I suppose Probably. veins of gold and things like that as well? Sure, absolutely. Gold comes up in boiling water. You know that? comes up in boiling water, and it comes up pure gold. <laughs> comes up in it comes up in water in pure gold because it's like there it's down there and it's superheated and it's like it gets together in crystals, but it seems to be carried by boiling water and rises up. Um, and and of course some of it goes into veins and rocks. But you, if you're like uh, panning for gold, you will get solid gold, solid gold, and it was brought up by boiling water. Superheated water comes from the inside. All of these processes are fantastic and wonderful, but you got to study them all. And you have to understand them all. You have to like put them together like a, a jigsaw puzzle before it makes any sense. Because once you get thrown all these theories, it's very, very hard to make your way through things with all the theories. You have to take all those theories and push them aside and say, oh, maybe some of them are true, but the truth is that I couldn't know that. It's a theory. You can't, I can't deal with it because it could be based on five other theories that are wrong at the base of which there's a theory that's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. So how can I deal with it? I can just deal with the facts. There are no fish fossils. They've been dredging from the 1930s, okay, for fish, for fish fossils in the deep oceans and found none, mm. none, zip, zero, none, not one. You go to your museums. And they, you will read these tags on these fish fossils that you'll see of these giant creatures that swam through the ocean. They will say, ocean-going, blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't. That's a lie. It wasn't. 
It's mm-hmm. just a lie. And you guys are lying to yourselves. Just lying and lying and lying because it's a theory. And after you do theories for a while, you start to believe them, and then they become fact. But they're not fact. Once yeah. you dig down, you realize, no, it's not a fact. It's just a theory. You guys, there is no fish fossil or sea creature that is found, okay, in the deep oceans. They're all Florida. You know, Florida, find it in Florida. It's all on the continental plate. It's on the sides of mountains that were pushed up in less than 60 million years ago. There were no mountains. So, there were no mountains to impede the free migration of dinosaurs from one place to another. That would be insane. And there are paleontologists who go, no, it can't be mountains, guys. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. I have a paper by a, by a, a guy named Colbert, which is a very odd name, um, uh, who was the uh, uh, emeritus uh, uh, uh geological paleontologist of the Museum of Natural History. And he writes a thing on, uh, on, uh, in, in a book on uh, how there were you know, basically no rises in the land, essentially, in the, in the uh, antediluvian world, because <laughs> there just wasn't. Otherwise, how would you have the free migration of animals? Here, here's another thing, and there's so much to this. There is so much to this. Earth, okay, here, uh, I'll take it from another angle. There was no seasons in the ages of the uh, reptiles and the early ages of the dinosaurs. There were no seasons. How is that possible? The earth turns on its axis. There were no seasons. There was no ice. There was no North Pole that was frozen. There was no winter and summer. It was all the same. Now, how could that be? Well, there's no humans around causing global warming, so how could that, that be? That may be. It may, it may, I think that's, that's what it was. People going back in time, the butterfly effect. <laughs> anyway, so, there was, so essentially the, the, the Earth was uh, temperate, not tropical, but temperate from pole to pole. I mean, they got dinosaur tracks in Alaska okay, from pole to pole. Now, how is that possible? Well, if you study the facts, okay, one of the facts is the sun was smaller and dimmer 200 million years ago. Oh, wait a second. Let's put that together with some other facts. The crust of the ocean that covers two-thirds of the Earth is two miles thick. The crust of the continental plates is 40 miles thick. Two miles to 40 miles. One of the reasons why oceanic crust can't subduct under continental crust is because it's like a spaniel trying to subduct under a, a hippo. It's, it's too small. So, you have, so your oceanic crust is two miles thick, and your continental crust is 40 miles thick. Now, why is the oceanic crust two miles thick? Well, because there's rifting and spreading going on in the deep oceans under basalt. So there must be a limit to the thickness of the oceanic plate or else you'd have explosions and shit, you know, but at two miles thick, it's okay to crack and pull apart and for this stuff to come out. Maybe in, you know, a hundred million years, there'll be explosions, but essentially it stays two miles thick because that's because otherwise it would melt underneath that it's melt. Wait a second. If the continental plate covered the whole earth, then it must have been just two miles thick as well. So that two miles thick 
would have allowed the heat from the inside of the earth to heat the earth. So the earth heated itself while the sun was smaller and dimmer. And that's why there were no seasons. So in time, as time went by, and as the, continental, as, the, as the continents broke apart, and then the continental crust got thicker, and the heat migrated, migrated to the deep oceans, to the rifts in the deep oceans, and the sun got bigger and brighter, then the heat, the job of supplying the heat was taken over by the sun, and therefore we started to get seasons. And then we got trees and plants that were seasonal, and then we got animals that migrated north and south. So it's all a process. Huh. It's fascinating. It goes, yeah. and that's why if you study it all and you take the facts. Now, nothing, there's nothing I said in there. You can look all this up. It's all facts. These are all, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the crust, you're not going to find that the crust is two miles thick uh, in, in a book. That's not going to happen. Okay, but you're going you're gonna to see that the, that the, uh, seasons it was it was the same temperature from the north pole to the south pole you're going to see that the sun was dimmer and smaller all those other things that are based on fact are going to be right there in the books sometimes you have to look hard for them because there's some things that that even scientists don't like to say out loud yeah so Neil, you're not going to find the you're not going to find a book that says there are no fish fossils that are older old, right, over right. 70 million years old you're not going to find it they don't, they don't want to talk about it no they certainly talked about it in the 60s a lot because that's why they had the Navy help them plot the ages of the deep oceans because they could not understand what the hell was going on. Hmm. So how did you get Neil to, to articulate all this stuff being coming from an artist background and all did that end up, did that end up helping you like the, the creative uh, flow I, I, required to, to do that? Like if, if people heard this chat, they wouldn't really think that, you spent a, a lot of years being one of the foremost, you know, comic artists in the yeah. world. I mean, how did, is there a tie in there at all? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think Da Vinci kind of did it. Um, I, I think there's a, mm -hmm. I think it, it, you can put it together. Some people are prone to do that. I like science and I also like art, but, but for example, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a time when in the comic book business in the in the 40s and 50s that comic book art was kind of crappy okay let's admit it uh it was kind of right. crappy now one of the reasons for that was that as guys would get out of high school uh they could draw well enough that the uh, especially in the in the in the lower east side in new york which is where um, uh, basically uh, the comic book companies the new comic book companies got their artists uh, basically, it was, a, it was a, a ghetto. It was a, a Jewish ghetto. Uh, the publishers were Jewish. The artists were Jewish. The writers were Jewish. Everybody was Jewish. And everybody came from the Lower East Side. Um, and it's, it's a fact of, of comic books. Everybody changed their name and you know, had operations on their noses and shit. And, uh, and so when you would hire somebody, you hire this teenager to draw your comic books, if he got hired... There was no then incentive to get better because now they're paying him. So he basically works the same way. Mm. So there are very few people that were self-improvers. In other words, why, get, why improve yourself if they're already paying you? 
and you have all these other people around you that are, you know, being paid and they're not improving. So you get a small minority of people who are, you know, who are self-motivated, who did like EC Comics. Remember EC Comics? They're really the cream of the crop, the guys who are actually yeah. getting better, and they, and they were paid a little bit more, and they were trying to get better, and, and it inspired everybody to, to do that. And then we hit the, the doldrums. We hit the America attack comic books um, in a big way. Congress attacked comic books oh, yeah. and, and uh, drove them uh, away. The, the best artists um, from, that worked in EC Comics scattered. I mean, uh, Alex Toth went to uh, California to do uh, work for Hannah and Barbera. Al Williamson, who was the uh, inherit, should have been the inheritor of the uh, of the of the Flash Gordon stuff. Ended up doing uh, ghosting for other uh, other lesser artists um, for their stuff. Uh, Wally Wood did spot illustrations for Galaxy and science fiction that I collected, of course. Uh, uh, what's his name? Jack Davis uh, went into advertising, did advertising, cartooning, and illustration. Everybody kind of liked that, and then, so he did very well with that. Um, Alden McWilliams kind of disappeared. I don't know where the hell he went. Uh, George Evans, I didn't get to see his stuff hardly. Uh, Reed Crandall became a night watchman. Uh, these guys who were the, uh, the, the potential future of comic books scattered to the four winds. Mm. And all that was left were the people that the few companies that were left would hire on a steady basis and, uh, were the steady, you know, providers, um, Joe Kubert being among those among the better ones, uh, uh, Russ Heath being another really good one, but um, you know the rest of them were you know really not as good as the old the EC guys, and so you had a you know a mellowing out of the business. Then um, uh, I tried to get in the business, and they turned me away, very very much. And so I went in advertising and illustration. I did comics for advertising. I did all kinds of stuff. I did a syndicated strip for three and a half years. I did illustration work. And I got better because the competition outside of comic books was greater. I was competing with illustrators. I was mm -hmm. competing with the best in the field and the comic strip guys. So I got better by one, by my own nature, because I need to get better. Also, I got better because the competition was stiffer. So that when I fell backward into comic books, it was like I had fallen from the sky. Who the hell is this guy? He <clears throat> knows all this stuff. He knows reproduction method. He knows everything. It was like the revolution was there. And so what happened was that you had um, high schoolers and college students who were studying art, thinking they're going to become illustrators or whatever, suddenly look at this, this Neil Adams guy and say, hey, maybe that's... Uh, Maybe that's got a future there. I mean, if this guy is willing to do this, maybe maybe there's something going on. Hmm. So it takes it takes a unique individual. And I'm talking about Neil aside from me being Neil, okay, and just observing it from a, that point of view and saying, oh, it takes a Neil Adams. I mean, there's nobody in my in the comic book business that's within five years my junior and five years my senior in that wow. period of time. Right that period of time, I don't have um, people that, you know, are my age. I mean, there's some people that came in later. You know, Starenko came in, he was a magician first, and, and, and uh, um, 
I guess uh, Denny O'Neill was a reporter for a long time, and then he started to write comic books for Charlton. But nobody came in that's anywhere near my age. Either way, either way, because it was a dead time. It was a it was a dark age, terrible time, terrible, terrible time. And I made it through. But it takes somebody like me to do that, and that same, you, one should not expect that I would not have other interests. In other words, it just seems natural to me. I, I, I guess I look at it that way. But I study uh, comparative religions relative to history. Hmm. I can I can empty a room in one minute with that one. <laughs> so when <laughs> and, when are we talking about? Like when when did you get get into that that business really? Oh, I got into into the science. No, the comic books. Like when you sort of came back into into the comic books and when I no I when I when I I guess I had done began. Remember, I wasn't out, ever out. I did a syndicated strip. I did comic books for advertising. I did the, no, but when I it changed when you changed it. When I changed, when was like that? Early in the early sixties. Right. In the early 60s. Right. Yeah. One 60s. thing that I think was uh, really pivotal is how you just, you put Batman in rehab. I mean, you, we had the 1960s television show where they do the wall climbing bit and they have people popping out and doing star cameos. And then you just bring it right back to uh, what Bob Kane was trying to accomplish. And, and that was huge. I, yeah. uh, and, and, I, and I, and I, and I'm giving, I'm given a lot of credit for that, but uh, the credit, the credit, uh, that I that I do deserve, if anything, was to convince the editor that he was barking up the wrong tree by maintaining that, uh, you know, Batman walking out in the daytime and, and uh, people not pointing at him and saying, mommy, mommy, that man's walking around in his underwear. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it was the time had passed uh, yeah. for that because the show was gone and it, and, and, uh, it was time to get the old Batman back. And I knew what Batman was. I mean, I, I, I had a confrontation with Julie Schwartz because I was doing, uh, Batman and brave and bold with, uh, Batman and dead man and Batman and Aquaman and Batman and yeah. whatever. And, uh, and, uh, I had asked uh, the editor, Julie Schwartz, Julius Schwartz, several times if I could do a Batman story and he told me to get the hell out of his office. And, uh, so I went and did brave and bold. And, uh, suddenly he, uh, I came in one day and he's got this big handful of letters saying that the only Batman at uh, DC comics is in brave and bold. And he said, why do you think, uh, why do you think, uh, you know what Batman is and, and we don't. And I said, it's not just me, Julie, it's me and every kid in America knows what Batman should be. The only people that don't seem to know what it, what it should be is you guys here at D.C. So he said, you're oh, working yeah. for me, Neil. You're working for me. <laughs> uh, and the truth, is, the truth is, I didn't, I didn't really do anything. I, basically, I, it, you, you just take that time period out and go from Jerry Robinson to Neil Adams. You know, I could draw better, of course. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to do uh, folding fabric, and I knew how to do things that other people didn't know how to do. But these were skills that I had acquired along the way. But essentially, I was doing the same Batman that Jerry Robinson was doing. Um, and and uh, I didn't change him. I mm -hmm. didn't make his ears longer or anything else. I didn't really do anything. I just did Batman, but the way he was supposed to be, not as right. a satire or a cartoon. Not that there was anything wrong with that with that television show. I love the television show. 
I mean, sure. I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. I think that the guys who did did that show did a great job and had all great actors uh, from American movies come in. I mean, they were introduced to television uh, through mm -hmm. through that show. Cesar Romero, all these guys, and and it was, and we saw it every week. That would none of us would miss a week of that show. It was just great. But you knew that it was going to go in a way that Batman w wasn't. Okay, right. on the very first on the very first show when you watched it, and it, they're doing cracking jokes and doing their pal Zam, and then uh, um, this actress falls into a cyclotron that's sitting on a soundstage, and Batman says, <laughs> uh, "What a way to go, go." Oh, you pretty, you pretty much, <laughs> you pretty much know what's going to happen, and uh, and until that was over, you know, it, it was popular and people loved it. But then it was over, and it was time to change. So I was the uh, ogre in the yeah. up in DC who uh, said, mm -mm, "Guys, let's let's fix this," and that's sort of been my job. I mean, uh, you know, even yeah. uh, Green Green Arrow was uh, was basically an imitation Batman. He had uh, Speedy, he had yeah. the Arrow car, and the, it was all, and everybody knew it. So that when I got a chance to do uh, yeah. Green Arrow, I said, okay, I'm not going to do that Green Arrow. I will make him, I'll do this, I will fool the people, I will make him a modern-day Robin Hood and switch the attention from Batman to Robin Hood, and I'll make him a modern-day right. Robin Hood. And uh, listening to you talk, mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. My audio keeps clipping, my audio keeps clipping out, so I'm not positive when you're talking. <laughs> um, but I think just listening to you talk about science and everything like that is that you have this ability to take uh, information that's available and really reconfigure it into something that's brilliant. And when you did Green Lantern, um, it, I I have to move it on to Green Lantern I, just because I'm just so blown away by the character of John Stewart that you and Dennis O'Neill. Yeah. kind of created um it's 1971 uh and you're introducing a black character uh a black green lantern which is a character uh, it's a demographic that's been largely ignored right comic books are for little white kids would you guys like and to uh, story? yeah absolutely that would be amazing okay so i go into julie schwartz's office julie was doing green lantern with denny o'neill and myself and we had done um we had done uh a lot of things. We we had insulted the vice president of the United States, uh, Spiro <laughs> Agnew, and the president, who was the little girl in the story, the ugliest little girl in comics. And the governor of Florida threatened to take DC Comics um, books off the stands <laughs> if we ever did that again. No, it's funny no. because the, the because the executives came down to came down the hall to me, and they couldn't find Julie, and they couldn't find Denny, but they found me. Um, under my uh, projector, opaque projector, and they they said, "Look, Neil, read this letter." I said, oh, okay. It's, uh, it's from the governor of Florida. If you ever insult the vice president of the United States again, I will see to it that your comic books are taken off the sands in the state of Florida. And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, what are we going to do?" I said, "Well, I guess we won't insult the vice president again." Duh. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. Schmucks, really? Come on. So anyway, and the thing is that they they had no idea what we're doing um, because they didn't read the comic books. They had no. Yeah. Denny and I were free to do whatever we wanted, and they because they couldn't, they didn't read the comic books. They they, they would only know later. That suddenly, newspaper reporters would be calling them saying, "Blah blah blah." 
what's going on? You're fighting union towns, and and you believe the Chicago Seven trial was an atrocity. Blah blah blah. Uh, I guess we didn't. Denny, come in here. Neil, what's going on? So they really they had no idea what we were doing, and they, and they left us alone. So um, the and I knew this thing was kind of winding down because the last thing that Denny did that kind of threw me was uh, he did a thing on overpopulation. And what a pain in the ass that was because I had to draw all the people in the world. <laughs> like, God, yes. okay. And, and 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 it was one of the it was a, a time where you know guys were getting vasectomies and it was just totally insane. And uh, yes. you know I didn't want I didn't want to you know go and grab Denny by the shirt front and say Denny you can fit the population of the Earth into the state of Texas. What are you talking about? Anyway. Uh, it, it, you could see that it was winding down and I, there were some things that we hadn't done. We hadn't done drug addiction and we hadn't done a black character. So I went into uh, Julie yeah. Schwartz's office and I said, Julie, uh, I think we ought to have another green lantern. I think we ought to, if something happens to Hal Jordan, we need another green lantern. He says, we got one of those. I said, Oh, I said, who is he? He says, a guy, a character named Guy Gardner. We did it like uh, two years ago. I said, I'm sorry, Julie, I don't read the comic books. Uh, so he says, okay, he pulls out a book, you know, and he binds his comic books, you see, and in book form. So he pulled it, and there's, there's Guy Gardner. Yeah. This blonde, uh, as it turns out, uh, white Anglo-Saxon gym teacher in the Midwest. Hmm. So I said, uh, so this is what I suggest, Julie. I suggest we hit him with a bus. Huh? <laughs> I think we should hit him with a bus. Why do you want to hit him with a bus? I said, well, if you if you uh, just break his arm, you know, he can come back in a month or so. But if you hit him with a bus, he's going to have internal injuries. All kinds of shit is going to be wrong with him. So he's going to be gone for a long time. We need another guy. So we did. We hit him with a bus, by the way. <laughs> anyway. That's great. Read that issue. Got to read that issue. Hit him with a bus. Anyway. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, so you're looking to do a Black Green Lantern, right? I said, geez, am I that shallow, Julie? Really? You can see through me that easily, like a puddle in the street? Yeah, I'd like to do a black green lantern. <laughs> so I don't understand. What's your problem? I said, okay, Julie, this is my problem. A ship comes to Earth. You got this purple guy, and he lands, and he knows he's going to die. So he sends the ring out to find the most worthy, bravest man on Earth. The ring passes by Batman, passes by Superman passes by all the heroes in the DC and Marvel universe and gets to Hal Jordan, a test pilot. I'm good with that. I'm a big fan of Chuck Yeager. I wouldn't get in a plane and test it. If my life depended on it, you'd have to put a, a gun to my head and probably shoot me because that's one of the bravest things you can do in the world. I got it. Okay. So the green, the ring goes out a second time, passes by Batman, Superman, and all the heroes in the universe. And goes to a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant gym teacher in the Midwest. <laughs> you don't see anything wrong with that? Really? <laughs> we, a third of the population of the earth is black. A third of the population is Asian. And a third of the population is white. Yeah. He said, well, that's not, yeah, I don't understand what you're, I said, look, you watch the Olympics, Julie. He says, I watch the Olympics. Of course, he's a New York liberal Jew, so he has to. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I live among New York liberal Jews, and there, nothing is so close to a socialist as a New York liberal Jew. And if you challenge oh, them, they will tell you, they will tell you, no, 
<laughs> Nobody is as liberal. Okay, I'm, I'm there. I'm good with you. It's fine. So am I. I get it. He says, you watch the Olympics? Yeah, I watch the Olympics. I said, how often How often do you see uh, three white guys? You know, uh, gold, silver, bronze. You I usually see black guys and Asian guys. I very rarely see three white guys. You know, I said, maybe in archery, you know, or shot put. I mean, just saying, you know, I, I very rarely see three white guys. You want to have a black Greenlander? He said, what if I give you an Asian Greenlander? I said, you know, Julie... You could do that. That would be fine with me, okay? But for the last 10 years, um, you've been pretty bad. I said, he said, what? I said, you have a, a, a friend of, Green, of Hal Jordan who's this Asian guy who works on the airfield, and you call him pie face. Mm. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, Julie. <laughs> I didn't mean that as an insult. No, no, Julie, that is ins as insulting as you can get. Bring an Asian in here and ask him what he thinks of being called pie face. You're Ooh. out of your mind. You are out of your mind. They, they fixed it later on. I don't know what the hell they did with it, but they fixed it. They said, okay, 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 you got a black Green Lantern. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want a black Green Lantern. I, want, I don't want a gangbanger who suddenly gets a power and suddenly he's a good guy. I don't want an African mm. chief who we can all relate to. <laughs> Excuse me. I want a college graduate who has a profession. Nice. He said, fine. So he had Denny write a script. So I get the script and I read the first page. And sure enough, he's a college graduate. He's an architect. He's out of work because, of course, unemployment in Harlem was 35% plus right. in those days. Okay. So I get that. I'm there. Okay. And his name is Lincoln Washington. <laughs> so I go to Denny. I go, Denny, Lincoln Washington. He's, Denny says, not me, not me. That's Julie's name. Julie came up with that name. I, so I went down the hall to Julie's office and I closed the door and I locked it because there's going to be some yelling, right? <laughs> Julie, Lincoln Washington. Lincoln Washington says, I know a lot of people with names like that. Yes, Julie. And they're all changing their names. They're changing. <laughs> it's a slave name, Julie. That is a slave name. Are you out of your mind? You're going to have letters. In, they're going to fill this place with letters. Oh, the yeah. world is changing. It's a slave name. So you pick a name. You pick. I said, just, pick a, just put a bunch of names in a bottle and pick one out. It doesn't matter. It could be anybody, just not a slave name. You pick one, he said. You pick a name. I said, fine, John Stewart. How would I know he'd become a late-night comedian? Really? <laughs> really? You know? That's great. How would I know? How would I know? Okay. So this story has two endings. Okay. Two endings to the story. The first takes place recently when they announced they were going to make a Hal Jordan Green Lantern movie, and every kid in America went, who the hell is Hal Jordan? <laughs> Yeah. What the hell? Hal Jordan, who is he? Because somehow Warners and DC Comics had equated selling 70,000 copies of a comic book a month to 10 million people watching a cartoon show on Saturday and Sunday. How? I, I mean, totally insane. Totally insane. And of course, the movie lost $150 million. Mm. $150 million. And you can guess. 
they're going to make another one. And you can guess, John Stewart's going to be in it. <laughs> That's right. Oh, is it Dwayne The Rock, too? Huh? Is Dwayne Johnson, is, it, is he going to be the guy? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many people to choose from. So many good black actors in the United oh, yeah. States. Un- unbelievable. Will Smith. Anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah, Will Smith. Will Smith. He's going to wrap his way through it. So anyway, there's another ending to the story. It's a little closer to home, a little closer to when I did it. Uh, we have, in comic books, you have um, the way you do color and uh, did color in those days. Not now. Now we use computer and it's all very fancy. In those days, we had a limited palette, okay, and we could have only a certain number of colors. We had a light brown, we have a medium brown, we have a sort of a dark brown we never use. Okay, so I did the medium dark brown for his skin. Right? Mm. Up to that point in comics, black people were colored with light brown. In fact, there's a character in Marvel Comics, there's a black character in the Howling Commandos, named Gage, and they colored him gray. (laughs) That is 25% red, 25% yellow, 25% blue, gray. If you pick that comic book up and you look at it, you go, who the hell is a gray guy? That's Gage, the black guy, the black guy. So anyway, they colored black people in comic books in those days, up to that point, light brown. Okay. Well, of course, I didn't do that. (laughs) So I handed it in. And, of course, what you do is you mark your colors, too. You write what they are. It's, uh, it's YR3B2 rather than YR2B2, which is a light brown. So I marked it up. So I'm working, and down the hall comes Julie Schwartz and Saul Harrison, another newly New York liberal Jew who cannot say the wrong thing. You must understand. Don't say the wrong thing. So, uh, Neil, uh, I noticed uh, that this John Stewart character, you, you kind of colored him uh, kind of dark brown. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we generally color uh, black people light brown. Yeah. <laughs> well, are you sure, are you, sure you, you sure you want to have him uh, dark brown like that? Uh, uh, and, and change, or you can just change it with the numbers and make it light brown. No, I think I'll keep them dark brown. Um, then he said something that I'm going to say out loud. And you're going to hear it. You're not going to believe it, but I'm telling you it's God's honest truth. He said, are you sure black people won't be offended? Wow. Jeez. Wow. I said, Saul, I think black people have been offended for the past 50 years. And maybe we're not going to do that anymore. (laughs) He said, okay, it's on you then. (laughs) Oh, well, if you get a letter, uh, Saul, just send me that letter. I'll be glad to answer it. That's the story of John Stewart. So how did anyway, it, uh, how did it end up, you know, going over and what happened uh, afterwards? Are you kidding? Oh, wow. Everybody loved it. Listen, I got to tell you something. It's a personal, slightly personal thing, but maybe not that personal. I've had more oh, yeah. black guys. I've had more black guys, adult, strapping young black men stand in front of me at my table at conventions and cry for the, for the creation of John Stewart and cry, stand there and cry. 
Wow. They've been waiting their whole mm. lives for somebody like that. Very, very emotional. Yeah. That's a great I story. mean, it doesn't, doesn't mean much That's to great. you guys, but it means a lot to them. It's mm. the crack in the dam. It just opened the dam. So Nap, Nap, oh, you being another, uh, you, Nap, you being an <clears throat> upcoming artist, uh, do you have any yeah. questions from about that? If, if if who has if I if I meet an upcoming artist? No, not, uh, Napoleon's uh, <clears throat> an upcoming uh, comic artist. Like he's a new artist. Oh, trace photographs. Yeah, trace. I'm sorry, my audio is clipping. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. What? Do you have any questions, Nap? Being a, a new artist and stuff. I have yeah. an answer. I have the answer. Uh, yeah, actually. Go ahead. <laughs> Great. The one one thing that I did want to say uh, is be. Because you, you're talking about John Stewart and you're bringing in a character that, uh, you know, may, maybe people are seeing is like, oh, that's a little iffy. That's yeah, I don't know if we want to go there. Um, and it reminds me of uh, are, you, are you familiar with uh, the situation that happened with that um, woman uh, just a little while ago? Batwoman's marriage was denied by DC. Oh, no. Tell and me about Kathy Kane and. Uh, And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so basically, what had, yeah, what happened is, uh, what they call it Batwoman Gate, is that uh, DC vetoed the marriage of uh, Kate Kane to her partner Maggie, and uh, it, it was uh, such an issue that J. H. Williams and uh, W. Haddon Blackman decided that they were pretty much going to leave DC. Uh, and because, you know, you, you build up to a certain point with your characters, you're working right. towards an end goal and that that's taken away from you. And a lot of people think it's because they brought Orson Scott Card, who's on the record many times as being uh, anti-homosexual, uh, at least anti-gay marriage, uh, in for the adventures of Superman and that they were trying to court him. Do you think that happens a lot in the comics industry? Do you think I, we're maybe backsliding a little? I don't. I don't, um, I don't, or, I don't, because uh, you, you, you've been right there in the heat of it. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that happened. I don't think that courting or whatever the hell that was. Uh, I don't think that happened. I think what happened was that they probably looked at the commercial end of it and they said, uh, well, okay, the character has been this way for so long. Uh, why change it now? It's a, there's a, what's going on is you have a, uh, a thing that's going on in the comic book business and you have it in lots of different places where you've got a character, you've known the character for a long time. You're, you either, the, this creative thinks that we're tired of the character the way they are. Why don't we make them black or why don't we make them Puerto Rican or why don't we make them, uh, why don't we make them gay or whatever? And so they make them and they do that. And the argument against that is, well, if that's how you feel about it, why don't you create another character that is black or Puerto Rican or gay and do those adventures and, and leave that character alone because we're making this, many, this much money over the licensing and the, we've already known the character for a long time and they've had romances and blah, blah, blah. So that's an argument that goes back and forth, and it has to do with uh, business decisions, and it has to do with personal decisions. And I think Hello? that the personal decisions and the business decisions get mixed up. If it was, if it was me, okay, I would personally, because I don't want to have a battle like that, I would create new characters, and I would have good, a good time doing them, mm -hmm. and I would make them gay. And I would make, I would make it very, very clear right at the outset 
that that's the way it's going to be. I don't want to take I don't want to take the rug out from under somebody else. I would rather make my own rug, and uh, and I, that's the way I would do it. Uh, it's just like what I did with Batman. Is I you know I didn't do the Batman that was on TV. I did the Batman that I knew was the old Batman. Um, I've been doing Superman um, uh, lately, and uh, and it occurs to me that Superman probably has, finds a way to work out because right. you know what? If Absolutely. you're Superman, you better. You better work out, or you're just going to look like a pussy. <laughs> and so I'm just saying that he finds a way to work out so that he has the muscles that justify his existence. Because what if he runs into another Superman, and the guy really is super? So that's how I think about it. But I think one of the things that's so good about the business is that we do get to make these these decisions. But it's a little hard when we take somebody else's thing and we change it. We should take our own. And that's, I say that to people all the time. It's like, I did, I created a character called Havoc. Okay. And they keep on, every time they do the damn character, they change it. And then after a while they say, yeah, but we really like the way Neil did it. And now they turn, they turn it back into the way I did it because his costume and everything he does works with him. Okay. But then the next guy that comes along changes it. It's like, you know, and then you're just going to change it back again. Why don't you just leave it alone and go create your own character? And I, that's, I think that's a much better way of doing it. And that's, that would be my direction. In fact, you just kind of inspired me. I think I want, I want to do a couple of gay characters, you know, because that would be good. It would be good. Yeah. Uh, and make one of them Puerto yeah. Rican. Definitely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Really afraid. Yeah. No, I, I and I and you know I I think it's bad when it's really rough when guys are they're allowed to get on that train, drive it down the tracks, and then they get derailed. It's like, mm-hmm. did you know this is what we were doing to begin with? Hello, didn't we have a meeting on this? Why why are you doing this now? Is either let me go or tell me at the beginning, you know that that we don't do this, and then we'll figure out something else. But don't do it while I'm on the trail. That's that's uh, no yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Anyway, so I wish I had an answer, but uh, you know I'm not God, so I don't, I don't really know. I'm, I know how I would do it because right. I, I I prefer not to you know step on somebody else's shit, and I prefer to step on my own. Yeah, but that's me, you know what the hell? Yeah, oh awesome. no, that's absolutely. So on a similar subject, um, recently there've been a couple of covers that have been recalled. Um, one of them being the spider woman, number one cover by Milo Manera, uh, yeah. because she was shown, uh, have you seen it? It's nice. I, yeah, <laughs> Actually, yeah. Well, Milo's um, kind of, it, kind of raunchy guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of known for that. And, um, but uh, I guess like they, there's an uproar on Twitter about, uh, that her, her buttocks were too luscious and distended, which can buttocks be too luscious and distended. But, um, then also the, uh, Barbara Gordon, uh, was featured on Batman number 41 as being threatened by the Joker. Uh, and who in the killing joke, he kidnaps her and blackmails her father, Commissioner Gordon, with dirty pictures. And it's strongly suggested that he sexually assaulted her. And Twitter just lit up and said that's triggering people who've been through those experiences. I guess what I'd want to ask you is because you're obviously not afraid to touch on some hard subjects is one. Do you think it's okay that social media has so much control that we can, uh, that, that people can just, you know, protest and 
voice their outrage and suddenly the artist has their hands tied and they can't do what they want anymore. And then second, when we complain about there not being strong female characters, and then when we give a female character, you know, an adverse situation, something to overcome, and then people complain, and that's taken away from her because it, it needs to be censored, it needs to be tamed so that we don't offend people. Uh, isn't that counterproductive? No. Um, I think that there's, uh, some people do art that's salacious, mm -hmm. and and uh, it's up to the company to pay attention to that and see that it's not done. Because if you if you saw it in front of you, you'd go, "Ooh, <laughs> I don't yeah. put on something that's not quite that tight." Um, uh, I think that the, that there's a certain amount of control that ought to be exerted, and the, and once that control is exerted, then fine, everything's fine. Leave it alone. Don't mm. don't. Uh, um, but, but relative to relative to exposing people to these to these other things, I think if you have um, a really uh, difficult thing, then you can put for mature readers. And I I'm a very big defender of the for mature readers uh, thing, because I want books out there that are for mature readers and for people who don't aren't given license to. Uh, to tell people to stop doing things. Uh, guess what? I would rather do it, and I'll put the four mature readers on it, and then let it let the parent decide if they want the kid to read it or they don't want the kid to read it. But I don't want to offend the parent who thinks that their kid right. is being exposed to something that they would never expose them to, like I'm sneaking it under the wire. So I think that what happens is that that four mature readers gives us the freedom to do the things that we want to do and we think are valid and, and, and right um, and stops us from hurting the kid or in, in any way putting that, uh, that putting the parent in the, into a poor position relative to his kid and then he can make his own decision. Because I want the, I want the, the clear path to doing the, those things that should be discussed in society without having that happen. So I find that to be, to be very protective of the freedom of uh, press. It's sort of, it's sort of like, uh, uh, um, it, I, I need the freedom of the press. I need the freedom of the creativity, but at the same time, I, I don't want to step into your home and offend your kid in front of you. Mm -hmm. So you know what? I'll put the label on it and now you leave me alone when I do it. Because right. we've agreed, we've agreed now with that label that we can do this. So get off my ass. And I and I and I do feel that there's the, there's an awful lot of the media that media. I don't I call it media, but of course it's it's the internet uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that is uh, got, got a lot of control, and they can say things that they anonymously that they would never say to a person's face and they're incredibly offensive and, and terrible. And I, and I don't know what can be done about it, but I think, you know, there's a certain amount of fighting back that has to be done. And uh, I think there ought to be people at the companies um, who know the right things to say uh, because very often they don't, you know, they just sit and go, Oh, really? They're picking on us. Let's not do that anymore. And, and I, I say <laughs> bullshit. No, enough of that. Uh, uh, I will tell you why we did this, and I will tell you why I defend it. And if they can't defend it, then, you know, they deserve to be kicked in the ass. But uh, they shouldn't be printing something that they can't defend to begin with.
Right. Uh, but if, if they do believe in it, then they should justify it and they should make their argument. And, you know, too bad. You know, devil take the hindmost. But, again, uh, you know, I have, uh, I have five kids that are all adults now and I have grandkids. And, uh, and I'm sensitive to, uh, to what those kids read. And I mm-hmm. and uh, and and I personally, I let my kids read practically anything. But I know my neighbor's kid, neighbor doesn't believe that. Like um, I've spoken to at least, I say, you know, you say a dozen people, but you really mean three, three people who have who are, have not taken their kid to see the Deadpool movie. Mm. I get it. I get. It. I said you didn't take your kid to see, but have a great time. And I went, oh yeah. I, mm. Uh, okay you know okay fine 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 if that's how you feel about it i would take my kids to see it because my kids are smart enough to cover up their eyes when they don't "Eh, it's sex and they cover up their eyes yeah and i'm just saying that you know that it's nice to have that uh that label because then it protects us with our freedoms i know it's counter counterintuitive to say that but i think it really helps us no, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I, I think that that way people know what they're getting into. Um, and speaking of people who didn't know what they're getting into, would it be okay to talk about uh, the Superman, Siegel, and Schuster uh, situation and how you were able to help them? It's long. It's long. <laughs> really long. We better leave that for the next, uh, the next yeah. chat. we got to wrap it up here pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. It's getting uh, pretty late. Important. Mark that down in your pad. Mark that down in your pad. <laughs> it's a great story. But it's... Uh, right. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It's been uh, just mind-blowing. I really... Stuff to think about and... Yeah, this is a fun one for sure. Yeah, gotta, gotta be opening some books now. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've opened up a couple of rabbit holes. Yeah, Napoleon, uh, yeah. thanks for thanks for joining us. Here. Just stick around for a bit, yeah, Napoleon, no and we'll... Uh, We'll do the outro here. So thanks a lot. Uh, All right. Bye-bye yeah. bye now. Yeah, it's good to talk to bye. you. Okay. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. There you have it, Graham. Are you sold or what? Okay. I, I don't know, man. I like that. I liked it. I, tough. Something clicked with, with the whole uh, planets forming in the stars and the whole universe creation that you were talking the, about there. The that pair, kind, of, uh, kind of fit together. The pair. What was it? The pair. The pair. Uh, <laughs> no, I got to. <laughs> I wrote it. Gotta I, look just, it up. I just closed the book. And the way that I keep notes, it's nearly impossible to ever find the page again. That's why I do the show notes, buddy. Right. If you could yeah. if I could explain my notes it's, to you, it's, it's pair production. Pure it's production. Like the high pair energy production. photon and splits in half, yeah. 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 I'll cha- I'll send you a picture of the notes for today's episode. Uh nap. Yeah. yeah, no problem. All right. So then you'll know the difference between Graham's notes and mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that was, that was pretty. Uh, I like. What did you think of it, Darren? Did you? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I'm gonna have yeah. to do a little digging on my own, but it seems pretty good. I think one of the main things is resistance from the science community is the whole is the pair production, like what you're talking about, right? Like you know that growing matter, right? Like actually having the Earth grow is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I like the pair production though. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Napoleon? It solves so many things. Yeah, he's just such a huge knowledge base that guy has. It's just incredible that y- you think, like, 
uh, about people and you, th- you think like you, you've met someone who's intelligent and then you meet someone like that and you're just like, <laughs> there's just so many pools you're dipping into. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I love talking to people like that. I, I feel like I always take something new away. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and mm-hmm. he's he's got to have thick skin. Skin. I've seen some attacks on his on his website from people, and you know, videos like debu- trying to debunk what he does. And you know, I've I, they haven't really mm-hmm. addressed the things he talks about in there. Right? They they kind of mm-hmm. debunk it in a way where they just talk about the current current theories and the current paradigm, but they don't really address like the specific things that that he's he's showing in his videos there you go nap i've sent you my notes for the episode which you should have no right. problem figuring out exactly what we we're talking about and uh creating the art. yeah and sorry we couldn't get to those okay. uh other questions nap i just thought it's getting it's getting pretty late here but um no yeah. it's it's Cool. I was worried that I was talking too much towards the end. I kind of feel a little mouthy. No, so. that's kind of what we wanted to do. We <laughs> wanted to just, uh, I kind of, that worked out well because I just wanted to drop, uh, once we got into the comic book, that's not really, I don't really know much about comics. So I wanted to save that to okay. the end and kind of get it in there. So that worked well. Yeah. Big thanks to, yeah. uh, big thanks to Neil, to Neil for coming on the show. Yeah. yeah and giving us so much time. Like, he needs man, a book. Was... Where's the book? Yeah. Well, Maybe one day. Yeah. I should have mentioned mm-hmm. that. And big thanks to Nap, of course, uh, the the, the uh, yeah. face behind the artwork. Yes, Nap, thank you so much for the for the artwork every yeah, week. Yeah, I know. No problem. I enjoy doing it. So. Thank you for yeah. actually doing it last minute almost every time. Yeah. I've always got oh, some okay. crazy requests. <laughs> hey, it's Wednesday yeah. at one in the morning. Can I have the art in 10 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh no! Believe me, like you, you're much easier to work for than most of the offices I've been in. So, <laughs> yeah, and we so, don't pay either. Yeah, and we pay zero dollars. Nah. So. nah, nah, no. You, we, you pay by actually by our, by our profit sharing model. I think you owe us like fifty seven cents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you pr- pay me by offering fine content. Okay, That's, we'll do that. Yeah, at okay, least there you at go. least three times a year, we'll give you some good content. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about <laughs> okay. today, like having Neil on. I'm like, Nap should be here for for this one. Like, so that's why I wanted to ask you to come on as well. Well, I didn't even know yeah. about the comic book thing. Oh, really? That's how oblivious right. I am to comic book. I couldn't figure it out because I fuck. I was gonna pull up the guy's name who got him on. I should pull that up here. But when he messaged me, he was like, he was on this other show, and. Clint, Clint P is the guy who hooked it up. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I've had him on this other, sh- he was on this other show. But they didn't really no get way. into it. I think it was all comic book talk, they said. This yeah. is a different guy. Yeah. Fuck's sakes. It's okay, we can do that some other time. I think. Yeah. No, I don't know who it was uh, now. Oh, yeah. It sounds like he's, he's got no shortage of things to talk about. So. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Oh yeah! Oh no! It was Clint P. I just went back too far to when he was asking us to get uh, Carmen Bolter on, hmm. but he also hooked us up with Neil. Hmm. That was actually just last week. Okay. Too. Yeah, Friday he mentioned it. Yeah, and we had him on three days later. Wow, so there crazy. you go, Clint. That's how quick. And he said all they had yeah. talked about was comic books, and I was like, I don't get it. And then yeah. I found his YouTube, and I did, did notice some comic book ones down below, but yeah. I didn't really want it. I figured it was like a comic book conspiracy or something. No. No, it's big time changing of the of the 
comic oh, paradigms. Oh, man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, no, he's huge. Uh, he, he inspired a whole bunch of people. Uh, Frank Miller, people who came into the game and just... Yeah, uh, a lot of the big-time artists just draw a lot of inspiration from him. And uh, he, he's a pretty amazing guy. So. Right on, buddy. Well, maybe you can meet him in person and tell him that you chatted with him at the America <laughs> show next time yeah. Comic-Con comes to your neighborhood. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. Uh, All right. So. Again, big thanks to Neil. Big thanks to Nap. Uh Head over to grimerica.ca slash support for all the different options on how you can help us keep the lights on, stay ad-free, paywall-free, affiliate-free, uh, grimerica.ca slash support. we got monthly plans there. Those are the ones we really uh, help us. And, of course, you can do one-time donations. Right now we're also running our upgrade program. So that's grimerica.ca slash upgrade. Uh, at this time, there's about... Eighty uh, percent of tickets left. Yeah, so uh, those are going quick. That's to raise money for a new computer. For a new computer. This one is still uh, holding up right nine, now. Nine years old, and it's almost uh, ready to crash. It gets incredibly oh. hot on the top here. Yeah. So yeah, check that out. Um, yeah, and check the show notes. Have all the links upgrade. To yeah, Graham's fucking show notes will have everything in there. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And Nap's art will be yeah. on the episode. Nap's art is on yeah. your iPod or this your iPhone right now. This would be a fun right one now. for him to do. Yeah, how you gonna how you gonna mix the comic book theme with the whole planetary uh, expansion theme? Her production. Oh, uh, well, if I tell you, it won't be a surprise. <laughs> right on, buddy. All, All right, right, guys. Thanks for listening. Right. Okay, no problem. And we will see you next week. Thanks. All right. Bye.
good score from a synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah